What is up, everybody? Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. It is episode 38. I'm Carlos Colazzo here on a Thursday, February 9th. As we record this, you guys are listening to it on a Friday. Uh, but I'm here, as always, with Ben Badler, and we are very, very close to the season actually starting, Ben. I can I can taste it right now. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Recovering after last episode where I realized I messed up the microphone so if you heard any issues with audio or bad takes or any defamatory claims that i made that would be the yeah. reason why so i mic issues made you say my apologies controversial things um but we're back here um got a lot of fun things to talk about today there are a few newsy pieces that i at least wanted to bring up on the podcast ben and if, if you have extended thoughts maybe we can talk a little bit about it but um the guardians and reds made a trade and the Padres extended Yu Darvish. Um, so those were two deals that happened recently uh, as we record this podcast here. Uh, I just wanted to mention them since they are kind of newsy items. I don't know if you had any thoughts. The Padres extended Yu Darvish to a six-year extension that goes through the 2028 season. And the most notable thing is it carries him through, I believe, his age 42 season and then maybe what's more relevant to this podcast since it's prospecty is the reds acquired will benson from the guardians in exchange for justin boyd a pair of outfield prospects i think i don't have any strong takes on on either of these transactions because they they seem to make sense um for all parties uh but i wanted to throw it out to you and see if you had any thoughts on either of these transactions or either of these outfield prospects. I do think it's interesting that Cleveland just seems allergic to, to power hitters in general. <laughs> um, but obviously they had a 40-man crunch that they're trying to alleviate. It, it seems like they are pretty adept at shuffling through players throughout their system. Um, they've got a lot of outfield depth now. The Reds don't. Uh, they're acquiring a player that has a lot more time in the minors uh, to avoid a roster crunch. So that made sense. But I'll just throw it to you, Ben. Any, any thoughts on these uh, latest deals on the Major League Baseball front? Yeah, again, and like a kind of a hitter-ish Oregon State outfielder. Yeah, he very much, Justin Boyd very much seems like a, a Guardians-ish type player. So um, to see them acquire him is, is not super surprising. And like you said, without, you know, definitely a, a hit over power profile. Um, yeah. Like you said, I think it, you can see why each team made that trade and, and the guardians have had some, and I don't think they're alone in this respect have had some success with players who are, are hit first guys where there are questions about the power and then they end up surprising you with how much power they ultimately grow into um but at the same time if that power never develops <laughs> and you you know it's it's hard to stick around as a you know a 30 power type guy in in an everyday role in the big leagues yeah and i would just like to see them add some more power to their lineup in general i mean it really seemed like a, a clear weakness in the postseason for them a year ago where it's it gets even tougher to string together a bunch of hits to score runs so It'd be nice if you could balance the lineup a little bit with with a few more thumpers, but um, we'll see what happens with them. Yeah, uh, he, and then no, oh, good. I was just saying, and then Will Benson. I mean, he's pretty interesting too because he's always been. I mean, he was a Guardians prospect. I mean, how long ago did they draft him? Like 
feels like a decade ago, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's it up right now to see, but um, yeah, it feels you know, like he's been a prospect for a long time. Yeah, first round pick. Yeah, twenty sixteen. He he's you know the knock on him has always been the swing and miss because he's one player who does have pretty big power, but he actually cut down on that swing and miss last year in Triple A. Um, yeah, the the strikeout rate was just over thirty percent in the the previous three seasons um, before twenty twenty two, and then he dropped it to twenty twenty two point seven percent. Excuse me, um, still had. Solid walk rate, solid power, uh, but yeah, 2016 first-round pick. Been around for a while and, and kind of had a breakout, bit of a breakout season last year. But, I mean, we have them, both these players, as 45 highs. It just seems like a different way to get to similar value with these outfielders. And in terms of proximity, there's obviously uh, a pretty big gap there as well. Yeah, I mean, and I like it for I – like, I like the move for the Reds. He – Bill Benson gets a little lost maybe in the shuffle just because of the depth that the Guardians had. But I think he took some real steps forward last year. I, I'm intrigued to see if that will hold up at the next level. I think he'll hopefully get some opportunities now for the Reds, who I don't think are going to be contending for for anything next year or this year, I should say. So I think it's a good it's a good avenue for him to get playing time and and prove himself because he does have he does have power uh, he does have patience too he draws walks he's a good athlete he's a really good athlete and now if he can show that he can cut that strikeout rate from what was more of a red flag to now a more manageable level I think he's a lot more intriguing than he was certainly this time. A year ago and like you said you have the proximity of a guy who's you know i guess we'll see if he's ready now but he's at least ready to get that opportunity now yeah and he, he played all three outfield positions for cleveland in 2022 uh, in his stint at the major leagues it was a 28 game sample he didn't hit great but yeah more more of a full sample with some major league time the versatility to play kind of wherever he needs to be played in the outfield is is positive like you mentioned he's a strong athlete with power i probably would be a little skeptical about what that strikeout rate is going to be moving forward um just because he's always been kind of a high strikeout rate guy but at the same time when you've walked at the rate that he's walked when you have his sort of power there's there's a, a path to being a solid offensive player, even if you're posting a, a higher than average strikeout rate. Just uh, maybe not in Cleveland. That's it's not allowed in Cleveland. <laughs> Banned. <laughs> uh, and then you, Darvish. Um, what do you think about extending a pitcher into their 40s, Ben? I mean, we've seen guys like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer kind of breaking our our notions of what the the aging curve is. But what are your any, any thoughts on this, or do you think it's it's pretty clearly just a way to get around some of the new CBA rules and, and luxury tax uh, implications for the Padres? It's a front loaded deal, it looks like. Um, but I don't know. It, it's interesting to think about the Padres as a major league team right now because they have gone so fully all in. The farm system is is a lot more barren than it was just a few years ago because they've traded all these guys to to get players like a Juan Soto. They don't have a, a ton of depth that's ready to help the major league team if if there are injuries in the near future. So 
it's kind of like, hey, you're putting all your chips in right now. If you don't win in the next few years, I mean, how soon do we get pessimistic about San Diego's future if they don't capitalize? Because, I mean, I guess never say never considering some of the contracts that San Diego has handed out, but it feels like it would be tough to retain Juan Soto once he becomes a free agent. Um, and now you're handing out money to a guy like you, Darvish. It's it's interesting. I, I love the Padres being this aggressive. I think it's good for baseball. It's, it's certainly good for baseball in San Diego. People are really excited about the team there. Um, but yeah, just thoughts overall on the Padres. They could just keep spending. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem to... You probably wouldn't have thought that they would be able to pull off all of the signings yep. and trades for, for the big stars that they've done so far, but they have. So, um, yeah, I, I think they can. And it's not like the farm system is empty right now. It, it certainly has thinned out a lot from where it was. And if you look at the depth of of their system, it, it falls off pretty hard once you get past the you know the top handful of players but again they're they're extremely uh active and and aggressive internationally uh adding a player like ethan salas i don't know if you like this pitcher who they just drafted last year carlos dylan lesco if you if you like him at all i think he has a chance to be good okay so we checked off the dylan lesco box for this podcast um (laughs) And they're you know set over unders on Dylan Lesko mentions for our podcast in the future. Uh, yeah, gambling houses and get some action. I mean, Jackson Merrill is he he could be really good. I mean, yep. there's a reason he's a top fifty prospect with a big arrow up behind his name. A really good scouting job by by them. Sammy Zavala, an outfielder um, from Venezuela, who they signed, kind of a like a Carlos Gonzalez-ish looking player just from the the swing and, and some of the pure feel for hitting and the uptick in, in power and being so young for, you know, for getting to low A at the end of last year. He's pretty exciting. Robbie Snelling. I mean, it's not like, yeah, that, like, again, they, they, they've traded away, obviously, a lot of good young players, but they did it for the right reasons and they're still showing that they can you know keep some pretty good players in in that system still i have i have very few questions about how san diego is able to scout i think they're one of the better scouting organizations in baseball and and i appreciate how they are consistently a team that just goes for upside and and doesn't seem to shy away from maybe some riskier demographics but i am curious to see how they're able to develop a guy like Dylan Lesko and a guy like Robbie Snelling, because who is the last homegrown pitcher that this team has produced to the major league level that's helped them in recent years? I was talking about the Padres in general with some people in baseball over the last few weeks, and they raised the point of like, yeah, San Diego's pitching development is, is a pretty big question at this point. And I'm curious if you view it the same way or you think it's just a kind of... Uh, part of them trading away lots of players to just get now stars and that if they hadn't made those moves maybe we'd be talking about a guy like Mackenzie Gore establishing himself in the rotation but there have been some pitchers um, like Orion Weathers who, who really hasn't established himself um, and I don't know I'm, I'm curious to see what they're able to do with these guys because 
it's difficult to build your entire pitching staff on the free agent market or on the trade market. I think it's really important um, for sustained success, especially to have some of those reinforcements coming up from your own system to get some of these fresher arms that can kind of fill gaps and ideally develop into your own number ones and number twos in the future. Uh, And I don't know that we have many great examples of Padres pitchers who have done that in recent years. Yeah, that's a good question. It's not something I've given any (laughs) serious thought to um, off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I mean, like if you look at their rotation right now, it's not uh, particularly (laughs) homegrown, Mm -hmm. but um, it's tough because, I mean, so many things... One, there's obviously a lot of different variables in it, right? Like if you're more focused on the on bats in the draft, yeah, like your pitching pipeline is probably going to look worse. But at the same time, you know, you look back at like their drafts from let's say like 2015 to 2019, from and you can kind of see at least some track record of who's had success and who hasn't. Among among clubs developing pitchers, but even that from three to what seven years ago, so much has changed throughout the game. I think just about how pitchers are developed, and so much, uh, it just e- even in that organization, we we've seen turnover and in, in player development. So I think the mm-hmm. what, what we think of an organization's track record for developing players and in player development from five years ago, or, or sometimes even even last year (laughs) if there's been that much turnover is not necessarily going to be predictive of what we're going to see going forward yeah i'm I'm just looking at their projected starting rotation and bullpen right now you darvish acquired in a trade joe musgrove acquired in a trade blake snell acquired in a trade nick martinez free agent signing seth lugo free agent uh bullpen uh, josh Hader trade Tim Hill trade, uh, Robert Suarez. I think they originally signed him as a free agent out of Japan, right? Uh, Luis Garcia, Drew Pomeranz, free agent. I mean, the only player they've drafted who is who looks to be part of their pitching staff, at least on day one, is Steven Wilson, who was an eighth-round draftee in, in 2018. I wonder how many other teams I – haven't, I haven't looked at this, but I wonder how many other teams have just won – player who they drafted who's who's part of their pitching staff overall i would imagine that san diego is near the bottom um just in terms of like where where your pitchers are acquired and it's also notable too the entire starting rotation is is going to be over 30 this year so I, i really would hope that lesko and snelling are able to kind of be the pitchers we expect them to be and kind of be that that new wave of San Diego arms because I'm fully bought in on on both of their talents. I mean, everyone who's listening knows how much I love Lesko. I really like Robbie Snelling too. I, th- I think he's a legitimate first round talent from last year, and they got a pair of those players, which is it's always good if you're leaving a draft with two first round talents. I think Houston was another team that comes to mind that that clearly got two first round talents last year. But San Diego is always always interesting. They're they're always doing something that's fun to talk about and fun to watch and. I think once again, they'll, they'll be a fun team to watch. 
any, any other thoughts on major league stuff going on, Ben, or can we get into some of the, uh, scouting conversations that, uh, I wanted to get into today? Yeah. It seems like it's been kind of quiet just in terms of major league news recently. You think like there haven't been any big, big, trade like little things here and there mm. but it doesn't seem like there's been yeah are there any other big moves that we're waiting on at this point or are we just kind of ready for spring training to happen is there yeah, a team wait. that needs to make some moves that, that still hasn't yet just just ronald acuna drama back and forth <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess we can talk about that i mean he's playing in the he's playing the wbc now right he is. It was announced that he's going to play for Venezuela in the World Baseball Classic. I think that's great. Um, I love it, yeah. Yeah, and I, I saw some reactions to people on, on Twitter who, who weren't thrilled, and I think the combination of him coming off of a, a season where he was dealing with injury and maybe the the drama surrounding uh, the Venezuelan league has maybe soured some people to, to Ronald playing in non-Braves games, but I think... Like I imagine you think, and I know Kyle, uh, who's covering the WBC for us, thinks it's it's awesome to have the best players playing in this event. I mean, I, I can't imagine not being thrilled to represent your country. And while maybe the World Baseball Classic isn't as big as a World Cup, I think it's similar in terms of I, I can't imagine some of the best soccer players in the world not playing in the World Cup because their club teams are, are worried about them getting hurt. That that would never fly. And I think it's the same in baseball. I mean, if, if we care about baseball as a game and showcasing the best talents in the world and seeing these players play for their countries against other countries, I, I think it's only positive to have the best players in the game in that as, event. And and I don't think that there's any – I mean, if you're worried about them getting hurt there, why, why don't you not play in spring training? Because you could just as easily get hurt there. So – I mean, where are you drawing the line for when it's acceptable to play or not play because of an injury question? A hundred percent. I think for pitchers, it's different. I, I can more understand the concern and the hesitancy from clubs about letting their pitchers mm-hmm. participate in the WBC. And if you just look up and down what the rosters are going to be for whether it's Dominican Republic, Venezuela, United States, pretty much any country the the position players are pretty stacked and then the pitchers are like oh like that that guy made the (laughs) hey that's like it's a new we can get a new uh style of play with the wbc we don't have to worry about a a dead ball error or pitchers just constantly dominating in that case yeah so i i I understand the hesitancy of not wanting your pitchers to want to ramp it up too soon early in the season for an event that they get fired up about. They care. They really want to win. And they're going to... No one who's pitching in this event is just going to be going through the motions or or pitching at 75% or whatever it would be to make teams feel comfortable. Yeah, so I... Teams, I should say. I get that. But like you said, with position players, what's what's the big risk? Like, they're still going to be playing otherwise in spring training games i guess you can manage their their workload a little bit more but like these are they can get hurt in spring training too the risk for them playing in a wbc game is if anything 
minimally higher, I would think, if yeah. if it's higher at all. I, I think you could even make an argument that it's beneficial for hitters. I mean, maybe going in live competition and getting live ABs like this in a really competitive yeah. environment puts you in, in mid-season form quicker than you would from a spring training game where it really feels like a lot of the time the players don't want to be out there. That's yeah, is the it, environment you get in the WBC. Yeah, is it better for Ronald Acuna to be facing, you know, some of the you know, you know, some of the better pitchers from around Major League Baseball, or should he go in a spring training game against somebody wearing number seventy nine <laughs> who is throwing, you know? 80 percent discovered yesterday yeah or 90 percent fastballs mm -hmm. just something you know yeah you're right it could be better for them to get ready for the season when is when is the wbc even start i've been so focused on draft stuff and getting ready for college that i don't even know when this thing kicks off i i should know that that's bad the wbc starts in i think it's in Mar i want to check the double double check the date but I believe in mid-March is when the games start. Okay. Well, I'll be I'll be paying more attention to this one than I've paid in the past, I would imagine. Uh, I'm just, I don't know, in the past, I don't know if, if it's just, I guess, how well do you think this, this event is, is marketed and how, how, how much attention do you think baseball in general gives to the WBC? Because, I mean, some people really love it. I know people like, like John Manuel, uh, he loves the World Baseball Classic. Kyle loves it. Um, I think I'm, I've probably not given it as much attention as I should have in the past. Uh, but, but hopefully that changes for me this year. Yeah. It's just fun. Especially if you're there in person, uh, like the games in like Miami where the crowd is just going absolutely bonkers is, is a great atmosphere. But if you're just seeing, you know, the Dominican Republic versus the USA, just on TV, I think it's just a, a great, fun atmosphere where you'd rather watch a spring training game in, I mean, go again, like, you know, spring training is, is useful and, and going to spring training games is fun too, I've but never been to just, spring training. just, ha just having an event like this with this atmosphere mm -hmm. every few years is I think just a fun fun thing to have and a good thing to have for just the marketing of the game, especially globally in, in this time of year. What I always think is really fun kind of related to this and we haven't had it in the past few years. It stopped because of COVID, but when the, when USA baseball's college national team would play the Cuban national team in carry, I remember that that's always an event that my family would, would drive up from Sanford. It's, it's only like 45 minutes. So it's not a big, big ask for them. Uh, and part of the reason they were so excited about it is because my dad's Cuban. So he was like, oh, we got to go see the Cuban national team. But I even think in, in carry in that sort of amateur environment, the, the crowds there are a lot of fun when you get a lot of Cuban people coming out and, and mm -hmm. supporting their team and you get a lot of national pride from both teams. And it's it's a competitive game, but it's also there's a lot of respect from both sides. You get the jersey swaps after the game. It's really cool. It's, it's fun to be a part of. And, and the World Baseball Classic is obviously just a bigger example of that on a larger stage with a lot of the stars that that you're watching on TV every day. So uh, I'm all for it. I'm excited for that. But I'm also excited to be at a game in person next week. I will be I think I'll be in the airport at this time exactly a week from now, Ben, ready to get out to Texas and see the first 
live baseball of the year for me. And I am thrilled. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking through all the stuff that I need to take out there. And I was wondering, like, what do you put in your bag when you're going out to an event, when you're going out to scout? What's the, what's the gear that you're taking? Because my bag has changed over the years. Uh, and I'm very glad that I, I rarely find myself needing to lug a radar gun around. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, saying that would have been like, what? You have to have a radar gun. But the fact that I, I really don't have to have that anymore is fantastic. But yeah, I wanted to talk through what's in your bag when you go to a field or you go to an event uh, or you go to the DR or wherever. And what's your system for, for watching games and evaluating? Because I've taken in a few games with you and it definitely feels like we have different processes and kind of how we watch the games uh, and, and what we like to do at games. And I know... Uh, going with games to Josh, he's he's very much focused on video, getting behind the plate video, getting behind the pitcher video, open side video. Uh, so I kind of just wanted to talk some talk some shop with you today, see what you're bringing, see how you, uh, what's your preferred practice of evaluating players in person, and then uh, get into the scouting scale and some conversations that we had in the BA Slack this over the past two weeks. Really, we've we've had some fun conversations about this internally that I think would be cool to talk about on the podcast but what is your setup ben what are you taking to games and what's your ideal process at a game it kind of depends on where you're going right if you're going to a minor league game versus if you're going to uh, a college game here in the states or a high school game or a high school showcase versus i'm going to a random not even workout but like i'm just going to see a player in you know in san cristobal and in the dominican republic work out as at his own field Uh, but yeah the for me the one constant is i I always make sure i have my cameras with me so you know that's i i know there are you know scouts that have bring cameras to games a lot of times just the quality of smartphones now is so good (laughs) That if you're just a lot of them will just go up down the open side if they're looking to get video of a high school hitter and just take it that way and they can quickly flip it back to somebody in the office and they can see it or they have the edgertronic cameras at the game. I, I hope there's never a universe where I have to carry one of those around. I'd be terrified of, of breaking it constantly. Yeah, there's a uh, yeah, I don't want to bring so much stuff with me that I'm afraid of like. <laughs> Uh, terrified of breaking something yeah. or I don't even want to use our, our slow-mo camera that we have I, I, I would just be so worried about messing something up <laughs> <laughs> but the I mean the yeah the one thing the stuff I almost always bring with me is the cameras because one just for my own sake I want to be able to go back and look at video of the players that I'm watching it's super helpful just to go back see things that maybe I missed live and can go back and watch or again like we're, we're seeing so many players and having to keep track of so many players if i'm trying to just look at my notes maybe or rely on my memory of a player from a time where i saw him nine months ago it's it's a lot easier if i can just pull up the video and say oh yeah this is actually <laughs> what happened here um so I always bring a few few cameras with me and then also for obvious reasons just to be able to share the videos with people, right? It's a big part of yeah. How what we do. Yeah, how old is the Badler Instagram account? 
gets so uh, gets so exciting. It's so yeah. Are you it, taking notes at games, or are you more focused on the video and watching, and then your note taking and like deeper analysis comes after the fact? Because I think this is where we we probably have inverse processes, and I can talk about like what I bring as well. But I wanted to kind of let you finish. If there's anything else that are like must-haves for you at a field, like a, a stopwatch or a notebook or an iPad. I know a lot of scouts are turning towards the pads to take notes and digitize them. But what what else is in your must-have equipment when you're at the field outside of the cameras, which seem like your, uh, your number one priority? Yeah, well, then all the tripods and clamps and things that get them hooked onto different parts of different fields that... <laughs> can vary quite a bit and be a puzzle to make sure you get everything set up right but notes it I'll I'll take notes at a game especially if I'm at a like if I'm at a minor league game and I can just or a, kind of a comfortable stadium where I can just set up the camera somewhere it can take notes easy if I'm just going to see one high school pitcher or I'm just going to see a pitcher right if he's really the only player I'm primarily there to see it's a lot easier to set up the camera and then take notes from there so i will have a radar gun but a lot of places now too where you go minor league teams will have you know the track man hooked up to the radar gun or they'll have it on screen somewhere and it's accurate now at stadiums not every stadium so you have to be careful about that obviously so you don't need to bring a radar gun with you as often uh, as you probably would have five, 10 years ago. And same thing at college games. Um, a lot of the, the high school showcases now will, will do the same thing. So you don't need to have that radar gun with you if, and, and I'll take it if I'm going to, you know, like a high school spring game with me and I'm there to see a picture, um, you know, I'll, I'll bring the gun with me. That's obviously important. And if I go to the Dominican Republic, I'll, I'll bring it with me. But even a lot of times down there, just when I'm going around to different fields and seeing players there, one, like the reality is just the, the position players are, are really the top guys yeah. at that age. So that's part of it. But also I'm, I'm usually just going around with different scouts to fields and, and seeing players. So um, so sometimes it, gun. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I can just kind of have the luxury of, of doing that. What are you doing when you're at a game or what are you bringing with you in your yeah, bag? I, uh, I would say the, the number one thing for me lately has been the iPad. Uh, I started off taking notes in like a very small, notebook pen and paper and and copied the hudson balinski beautiful mind style of charting like every pitch and taking notes on every pitch the velocity where it's at in the zone if it was a swing and miss if it was a foul ball like really detailed pitch by pitch notes um and if if you did you ever see like when hudson was at baseball america like what his notes looked like no, does it look like a doctor it, it, no, scribbling it, down on a pad? Of, or? But it also, because there's so many little strike zones with dots in them and dots outside of them for like pitch tracking to see, it was like it was like when you literally watch Beautiful Mind and see all the charts written up on the board, all of these mathematical equations and formulas. It looked like something 
a crazy genius was doing in their notebook. So like that is what I modeled when I started because I was following Hudson around, like seeing how he did it. Um, my note taking system has developed a little bit from there. I use like a kind of a, a mix of a scorebook and a more typical way of um, like, it, it's not just like keeping the score, but it's, it's basically uh, I have an area for the lineup and then pictures with sections on my templated, um, I don't know what to call it, but it's in GoodNotes on the iPad. It's, it's templated basically so I have space to write stuff that's happening on the field, um, what the pitchers are looking like on the mound, both in terms of stuff, their body, how they move. Uh, and then it's also got space for like showcases so you can put workout results, notes from that, and then actual in-game results. I really like using the pad just because I have one place where all my notes from all the players are going to be. And it's been really good because the GoodNotes software that I use lets you search um, your own handwriting like through a command F search. So if, if I'm not able to upload all of the notes for whatever reason to, to Google Drive or wherever we're storing it, I can literally just search through my handwritten notes, which I think is really cool. Um, if, if I'm writing up a player, if I need to see like what a player was last summer when I saw him, that's been great. Um, I've very much focused on like taking notes live as I go compared to just focusing on the video, which I'm, I'm going to try and do, I think a little bit more of like a hybrid version this year, because I do think to your point, there, there's a lot of the same note taking and analysis you can do after the fact with the video. Um, but I've kind of tried to avoid being so obsessed with the video and getting a ton of open side looks that I'm kind of missing uh, the big picture uh, and just staring into like a screen. I, I don't want to ever be like that at a game. Um, so trying to find a balance where I'm getting quality video to both share with, with BA subscribers and readers uh, and also have it for my own purposes and, and taking notes live. I, I still love being able to just camp behind the plate and have a video run without me touching it and basically start it and stop it in between at bats that's that's probably my ideal setup I, I used to bring a radar gun everywhere i don't anymore because pretty much every event that i go to on a regular basis like you mentioned has trackman all of the prominent high school showcases and tournaments either have trackman there broadcast on the scoreboard or there's a display uh, behind the plate for the huge group of scouts that are there Mm -hmm. Or you can get the track man information after the fact or, or just the velocity information after the fact. So it's really become a non-issue for me, and it's nice to not have that in the bag. Uh, I always have a few backup, like paper notebooks, in case something goes wrong with the iPad. Uh, I've got a bunch of batteries, pens. Stopwatch is a must for me. I, I always have the stopwatch. I don't know actually how to do – when I go to events, there are always scouts that have the stopwatch tied up around their wrist. And it, it's always the same way. There's clearly a system of how they throw it around their wrists where they can just leave it there and then whip it up whenever they need to in between taking notes and pitches. But I'm always hanging it around my neck um, like a lanyard style, which I don't think is the, the most cool way to do it. So I really need to figure out how to tie the thing up around my wrist and, and be more of an expert. But the stopwatch is a must. I think one of the best ways to to just endear yourself to scouts and be helpful to them. And I, and I think that's, that's key. That's what I always want to try to do is like make sure I'm not in their way and also just be helpful. If you have a stopwatch and you're constantly trying to get, you get your home to first times, your pop times, 
you would be surprised how many conversations you can start just by sharing your stopwatch with someone who either to confirm the time or if someone didn't get it. Um, that's always really useful. That's actually another reason why I like the video is because with the stopwatch, you will miss it yep. a lot of times when you're going for a home to first time, yep. like you, when you're going for a pop time, whatever the case may be. If you have it all on video and, and also there's just some human error, like you said, you want to check with other Absolutely. people to see if you were a little too fast on on one of them. Uh, but whether it's for, you know, at a, at a game or in a showcase for the 60 yard dash mm-hmm. is actually, I, I find <laughs> helpful too, is you can slow it down and get a very accurate time. So sometimes like agents or trainers in the, in, in Latin America will be like, Oh yeah. Like my guy ran a, a six, six, five at this event. I was like, really? Cause I'm here. I have it on video. I can slow it down for you. He ran, you know, a six eight well, well, six that's eight why, four. And you're slowing down the video. Of course, it's slower. You, you slowed it <laughs> <Right>. down. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what the, what's happening. One of the happening. best things about just video, but I think Synergy has it built in. Is you can there's a stopwatch feature where you can you can scroll frame by frame to get the exact point of contact. Uh, and some of the frames are maybe you don't have as many as you would like, but you can get basically the exact moment of contact. Do the same thing when you see if you have the angles to see when they touch the first base and, and you get the, the the time down to like the thousandth of a second spit out to you. So that's really useful. The only um, yeah, the key there, too, for me is just making sure the 60 yard dash is actually 60, 60 yards because yeah, that would be. A prerequisite, you would think. But, I've, um, well, I've definitely been at some places where the, the track is uh, a little short. I know it's helped some players sign, too, <laughs> where the team has been, yeah. has, has said, oh, yeah. That comes over 60-yard times in the industry is quite amusing, I would say. Um, but anyways, a, a few of the other things that I bring. I always have a water bottle because most of the most of the events I'm at are all day. Uh, and, and most of my travel, at least my, my extensive travel, is the middle of the summer in the south of the country. So it gets hot. And then one expert tip that I picked up very quickly um, was you, all, you always need to have a bunch of the Marriott towels or whatever hotel you're at. The towels, you have to have those in your bag. Do you do that, Ben? You're looking at me confused. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought I thought you were going to say Marriott pens. I was like, yeah, that's the only kind no, of pens that I, don't, I use. I, don't like I, I do fit pens. this. What? You 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 steal the Marriott pens? Well, they give them to you. They're not stealing. <laughs> what kind of pens are? No, I'm very particular about the pens that I use. I don't. I can't just do random pens, man. Then you're writing. In well, you do things. take more. Yeah, you're probably taking more notes than I am. Although you said you're using the iPad, right? Yeah, I do have a backup. I don't remember what it's called. Um, what's the main brand of pen? I remember I literally had like put up a tweet. What what is the best pen? And I had a bunch of scouts text me like, "No, it's this one." Where did you get this one? How do you get that that thin of a thin of a line for your pen? I think I. Oh used my the- god, pen snobbery. Yeah, it was very much a a nerdy conversation. But there is a there is a specific pen that I prefer. That if I'm going into the store to make sure I have a few. I get I get the exact one. I think it's like a. It doesn't matter what it is, but either way, there is one. I I can't just pick up a random pen like you, um, but I do have those backup in case the iPad dies or the Apple Pencil gets lost or whatever. You need to have a contingency plan. Um, but the towels, yeah. If it rains, it's 
clutch yeah, to have just to for, keep your stuff dry, keep your seat dry. Keeping you gotta keep the seat dry. It's good for um, claiming a seat too. Early, claiming a seat. Yep. Mm-hmm. You throw typically if you put your towel down. Most most scouts um, you kind of respect that. People acknowledge if if your towel is down there or your bag is down there, that's your spot. And what I really love, and I don't know if this is true for, I actually don't think it can be true for like pro stuff, but maybe it's true for certain international events, but because there are a lot of multi-day high school showcases, in my experience at the events I've been at, if it's, especially if it's an event that takes place at one field, um, typically once you've kind of established your seat the first day, everyone is trying to go back to the same place they were (laughs) the whole time. There's occasionally you'll get people who are moving around, but I really like that like once you establish it, your people around you kind of band together and they're like, these are our seats. We're keeping them the whole tournament. And everyone kind of respects that, which is awesome. Uh, and it's nice that, that I don't get kicked out of primo seats because I'm not a real scout. Uh, so that's been good, too. Yeah, you still got to get there early, though, for oh, you the do. bigger events where there's some limited real estate. You definitely it's... do. There, there are some I, I know of some people who have actual competitions of literally trying to get like absurd hours getting to an event like three, four hours before anything, not even just like first pitch, but before the first BPs will happen and people will just go there early and claim their seats and just camp out. Um, So you've got to be on it. But yeah, I I like that. It's fun. Uh, I'm really getting excited to go to field just talking about all this stuff. Are there any other tricks of the trade you've picked up in terms of vantage points or, or anything else? Uh, kind of related to this, Ben. I feel like I'm lucky in that the events that I go to, I generally can get a seat behind the plate. And I know we've talked about this before, but if I can only have one spot, I feel like you can just see everything from behind the plate. I I don't love being down the line. I feel like at USA Baseball events, because you bounce between the fields, I'm I'm more likely to be down the line at those fields because there's not a lot of real estate behind the plate. And I just feel like I miss so much and I don't have the sort of eye for open side hitters or even pitchers. Like I'm learning very little about how a pitcher stuff plays if I'm on the open side the whole time. So I honestly don't understand how so many of these scouts are able to like evaluate from down the line. I, I hate being down the line. Maybe, maybe there's something I'm missing that I can improve on in the future. But if I could be parked behind the plate at a decent height, I will be happy forever. Yeah, I usually like to just stay behind the plate if I can. The exception would be like Jupiter, right? When there's four games going on at once, you're bouncing back and forth between different fields, and I'm primarily there. Well, I shouldn't say primarily there to see hitters, but as as far as taking video, I'm primarily bouncing back and forth seeing hitters from the open side, and then if there's a pitcher, I'll just clamp the camera Mm -hmm. behind the fence, behind home plate. So I can do it that way. And if I'm, you know, if, if I'm at a high school game or a college game where there are certain hitters I'm targeting, I'll, I'll probably still stay behind the plate, but I can just set up a camera mm-hmm. on the open side too. And then I can get the, go back and watch the video the of the swing the whole time. How do you do that? Cause I only have no, one no, no, right no. now. I think eventually I'd like to get another one so I can get more consistent open side but if i just have one i'm probably just parking it behind the plate so yeah i'm usually just hitting video but you'll get you'll get everything the pitcher does you'll get the actual swings from the hitter so yeah and you can go back and see where the ball is going to so yeah i'll just i don't don't track the ball like you do i normally just put it on a tripod and and kind of frame it up and then 
but you you'll track the ball like you're you're using it handheld the whole time right i mean i'm also the the other thing is trying to get make sure you get bp i mean it's they don't always get a hitter taking bp but if i get a hitter's bp swing it's not the exact same thing as a game swing but then i can go back and get a feel for the mechanics of the way the the hitter swing works and if you're watching from behind the plate too again it is a different vantage point being able to see from the open side so it is useful for to have the ability to go up the line and and see a hitter's open side swing but you can see the way a hitter is reacting to a breaking ball from behind the plate too you don't i don't think need to be up the line Oh, I think you get a much better feel for a, a player's swing decisions behind the plate. Because, I mean, if I'm on the open side, it's almost impossible to tell on, on the fringes if, if a pitch was really inside or outside. I mean, you can tell high and low pretty easily. But I feel like I have a much better feel for, like, are you making good swing decisions? Do you have coverage of both halves of the plate from behind the plate? I, I just have a much I'm Maybe it's because I've spent so much more time behind the plate at these events, but I'm significantly more comfortable evaluating both hitters and pitchers from from just behind the plate are you as i say jupiter do you bring an umbrella to games because that to me has been nope you gotta you gotta do that now you do you bring an umbrella oh yeah because you like here's the thing at jupiter instead of using a towel to claim your spot you're driving up a golf cart behind the plate to establish where your spot is so that especially if you have multiple people um like there have been times where myself and Teddy have been at Jupiter. And so the way Jupiter works is there's a few clovers of baseball fields, uh, a few fields kind of on their own and then the stadium. Um, and typically you will, or at least how I do it is I'll, I'll plan out the schedule and try and prioritize the best prospects that I can. But typically you'll get a couple of like high priority games on one clover. So I'll go early, park the golf cart behind the plate for one of the fields uh, and have someone, and if I'm not at the golf cart, whoever, whatever scout needs to be there can just sit in the golf cart. That happens plenty of times. But park the golf cart, and then you can just kind of bounce around, and you've got an established spot at one field, and then you can kind of just bounce around because there are four different fields right behind you within 15-second walking distance. Um, so Jupiter is always a little bit more of a scramble. So if it rains, you just hide under the golf cart, and that yeah, protects rains, you? I'm just under what the, are you I'm talking about? The golf cart doesn't offer any oh, protection yeah. from the rain you've got you've got a whole you've got a whole pack of golf carts right beside you and it's just rain it's that florida <laughs> rain too it's coming in for 15 minutes there yeah there from the been, side there have been multi actually almost every time you go to jupiter there is a day where it just pours for a few hours they stop all the games anyways and you're just you just leave you go to your car and you wait for them to start the games up again so if if it's that bad at jupiter specifically there are several places you can go to get under a shelter if you need and those quick little florida rains that come through that are like a couple seconds to a few minutes the golf cart is more than fine for that uh, i think i would i would recommend throwing one in there throwing, throwing an umbrella in the bag. I, I didn't i was also one of the people and like walking around on college campuses when i was in school who never had an umbrella so if it was raining i would just walk through the rain just deal with it i, I just hate having an umbrella i don't want to carry one around where do you put i don't it? I don't want you to get your iPad wet, Carlos. I don't, oh, don't worry. The iPad is... I don't want your electronics to be... Yeah, the, the iPad is definitely protected. It goes in the bag. It goes in the, the waterproof or water-resistant North Face, whatever they call it. I need That's you to be able anything. to easily search your notes without 
Yeah. Any water damage. It is annoying when it rains though, because then you're you're doing the situation where if it's just like light sprinkle that you just kind of have to sit through. Oh, that is true. Awkward lean over while holding your your towel over the pad. That is the one negative of the iPad is it's much less versatile in the weather. If you're writing on just pen and paper with a small notebook, you can easily keep that covered up. Um, But it's funny when it rains to watch all the scouts like hunch over, get their towels set up and try and keep keep doing their job while it's raining. This is also why I love um, going to the trop because none of these are factors in in indoor settings. And that, and you, and you don't want to whip out the umbrella when you're like sitting behind the plate oh, yeah, while see, the game is still going on. See, oh no, 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 that's not that's not the scenario. It's like, hey, it's like starting to really rain, you get, and there's no there's no cover overhead. You're at, you know, but, Jupiter. There's no there's nowhere for you to hide. You, you're going off the to the side. What's going to happen to you if it rains? Because like, once it rains that hard, the games are mostly getting paused. Like, are you just popping open your umbrella and standing behind the plate? How, your umbrella is not that much more coverage than the golf cart. No, you're going off to you're going off to the side somewhere. Okay. To have the umbrella over you, but you don't want to get you don't want to get. I mean, there was a day where it just absolutely poured at like nine in the morning. So then you're what? You're just gonna be wet the rest of the day. <laughs> Sounds fun. You'll dry. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather just start dry. <laughs> ben doesn't like the rain, everyone. Oh gosh. This makes me want to want to watch games. Any anything else on this? I want to talk about the scouting scale too, and how we um, how we assess risk, how we separate players. Um, I kind of want to get in that conversation because I don't, I don't know what initially brought up. I think we we're just ta- probably just talking about the the BA scale that we use in our prospect handbook. I'm going to open one just so I have it here to reference for this conversation. But I, I'm fascinated about how the scale has evolved, how we have changed, maybe how we talk about high floor versus uh, high ceiling, basically floor versus ceiling in general, how, how those terms differ from a high or a low variance player, if there are any differences in those two terms, uh, the best ways to assess player risk, how, how we use that in our BA scale, we use a, a BA grade, and we use a risk factor that kind of when you combine those, you get an adjusted score. I can do a brief overview of, of the BA grades and how we use them right now, but it's the 20 to 80 scale. Um, and for overall grades, the we basically have in the prospect handbook 40, uh, which would represent a reserve player, all the way up to an 80, which would be a franchise player. Um, and then there are half grade um, separations up that scale and we have risk factors from low to extreme, um, which basically try to, I mean, tell you the the risk of the player, whether that's a proximity risk, whether that's a skill specific risk, whether that's a medical risk. Um, and I'm curious how, cause you've been at BA much longer than I have been. You're significantly older than me, as we've talked about many times before on this podcast. And wiser. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, how, how this scale has, I, I guess you, I don't know if you are, if you know, like how this one was developed, but I think there was a, a few changes that were made in the 2000s for it. But basically just thoughts on the scale, how we use it, how we separate players um, in half grades. I always love talking about half grades. I think I'm the biggest half grade proponent on staff and I'm always pushing for for more usage of them because I do think 
there is some thought from people just in baseball in general who, who don't like half grades. And when I'm talking about half grades, I'm not talking about 45 or 55, which I feel like are typically um, assumed or, or seen as like fair or universally used even, but even like 65 and 75, a lot of people just don't believe in those and won't use them. I think they're valuable, but basically I'm throwing a lot of scouting scale and how we quantify player value at you. Uh, and I wanted to have this conversation on the podcast. So how, what do you think about our, our grading system? Do you think it's good? Do you think it can be improved? How has it evolved, et cetera? I think, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think there's always ways we can improve it, but the the goal is to try to present a kind of a, a reasonable upside for a player along with a measure of risk for that player because you could have two players who you could say you know we, I, I think this player is going to be you know a future you know 55 or a future 60 player but it's a lot different when you're projecting that hitter who's in double a the shortstop in double a to be a future 60 compared to the 16 year old shortstop who you're signing to get to that level right so you need to have a risk grade that that accompanies the you know the projected upside for the player to go with it otherwise the i I feel like your your grading system is off if you're just looking at upside or and and not accounting for risk or if you're trying to kind of like swallow it all into one grade rather than separate it out into two different components do you think there's any value in in separating out proximity risk versus other risk factors like injury history or just like a risk for a player who doesn't have the greatest contact like is there any value in differentiating age and and how long it's going to take to get closer to the majors versus injury risk versus skill specific risks. Cause I think that that could be an area where, um, if, if you got more specific with them, you could maybe even separate players further rather than just one risk scale, or if it's even worth having like multiple risk scales and assessing each player on each, each different one. Yeah. I mean, that could be an interesting idea where you're breaking out the risk factor into into different categories and highlighting the different areas of risk for the player. I mean I I think that falls under the under where we have just the information in the report yeah. itself that you could should be able to gather, right? Like if you see a mm-hmm. pitcher has an extreme risk, well that's yeah, that's because you know Dylan Lesko had Tommy John surgery and he's a high school pitcher. Yeah. So he's a teenage pitcher with, mm-hmm. with no experience in professional baseball. So, um, you know, that, that should be evident in the report itself. Um, and like, there also just is the practical factor too, of like how, how granular do we want to get in presenting Absolutely. all of, all of these specific risks for every you know, all 900 players in our, in our top thirties. So I think yeah. just the practical part of it is. Uh, yeah. There's certainly ways an into idealized it version and like an in theory version versus 
at a certain point you have to actually get all this work done and put it in a presentable way for the reader where it's valuable. And I think, yeah, the most important thing is like clearly describing who this player is and what this player can be is, is ultimately what we're trying to do for the readers. And, and on the scouting side, ultimately what you're trying to do for your team is say who this player is now, who can he be three to six years uh, into the future. But I, I do think it's interesting thinking through like quantifying these various risk factors and maybe um, can you learn something about certain profiles if you have then like a built up history of um, player X versus player Y who both are perceived as risky, but for very different reasons. Is there any takeaways from their developmental paths or their um, their success rates? I just think all this stuff is really fascinating to me and I'm always kind of looking at how we're quantifying players. Um, but one, two things that were interesting that, that I kind of wanted to throw to you right now is JJ had mentioned in this conversation how hitters and pitchers are almost on an entirely different scale in terms of risk because mm -hmm. risky for a hitter. I mean, some of the riskiest hitting prospects are it's almost like a baseline for just the generic pitching prospect because they have so many more paths to failure. I know JJ recently wrote about this for the website. Um, just in the sense that looking at number one overall prospects and why we haven't had a number one overall pitching prospect since, um, was it Dice K who was the last number one? I think, I think Dice K was the last number one prospect. And then Shohei Otani was the last pitching prospect we had inside the top three. And JJ was basically looking back over the history of our top 100 lists um, noting that the few examples of the number one pitching prospects we had very early on in the process uh, in hindsight, you would have had other other players in those spots and, and basically just laying out all the reasons why it's so difficult to rank highly as a pitcher. But I do think it's interesting to think through risk differently for hitters versus pitchers. Um, and I also was curious about your point that we had in this conversation about uh, variance versus risk. I don't know. You can expand on that more if you want. But I think I thought you had a really good point um, that you had mentioned in, in how we talk about floor versus ceiling. Um, and now I think I, I think of high floor players now a lot, a lot differently than I thought about high floor players like three years ago, but you can take that in whatever direction you want, Ben. Well, I think, yeah, the terms floor and ceiling are pretty common to hear. I, I don't know that I actually ever use those terms myself when I write about players, because yeah. I don't really think about it that way. I, I will use the term upside, and I think I've used it just on this podcast, right, this episode mm -hmm. quite a bit. But I I mean, you can argue that maybe it's a, a distinction without a difference, but to me, ceiling implies that there's some sort of a limit for what a player can become, like a hard ceiling, like a physical ceiling for for the you know for what that player can achieve when we've seen so many times that a player can even if you have high expectations for a player he could outperform that i mean yeah. i really like mookie betts when he was a prospect would not have necessarily thought he'd be an 80 like we wouldn't have said oh his upside or his ceiling is an 80 player we wouldn't have thought of it that way but he is so and and then other players who 
you know, people will say, oh, yeah, his his ceiling is a, a fourth outfielder or, or a utility guy. Well, no, sometimes they're mm-hmm. better than that. And then especially on the opposite end where we talk about floor, yeah. you, you can be a, a low-risk prospect, but the floor for – it's uncommon, but even some of the highest-ranked prospects who – we've ever had on our top 100 their floor is not you know everyday player or even uh yeah or even a reserve a bat off the bench it's no he's just not good enough to (laughs) to hit in the big leagues i mean jesus montero was i think three times in our top 10 prospect in baseball i think multiple times within the top five and his his floor was not stick around as a backup catcher. His floor was, he, he just couldn't hit or defend also well enough to stick around mm-hmm. in the big leagues. So um, I think just the way we think about, or sometimes we'll write about floor and ceiling yeah. doesn't actually map to the reality of outcomes that we see there's, with players. There's There's always this implied overconfidence in using those terms and maybe you get around mm-hmm. it by just using terms like realistic floor or realistic ceiling but i do think that you are smart to just avoid the usage entirely um and i'm sure i'm certain that i've used these terms in the past and i think moving forward i will try and avoid them because i, I do agree we always even with players like right now if we look at our top three players Gunnar henderson corbin carroll i'll use those two specifically because jackson chorio is at least further away and so most people would acknowledge that there's probably more risk with him Um, but both those two players everyone is expecting to be stars and if they're not stars everyone is expecting them to be average regular players but both these players can bust like we just talked about like Mm -hmm. that is not a that's not a non or that's not a zero percent chance of happening so I, I think in an ideal world, the way I would think through players is assigning um, a percentage, like a probability that they reach certain levels and kind of having different buckets of percentage. Like say with with Gunnar Henderson, it's maybe 40% chance that Gunnar Henderson is a 55. Maybe it's a 20% chance that Gunnar Henderson is a 70 Maybe it's a 10% chance that he's a 45. Basically, go go throughout the scale and assign your probability percentages on his likelihood to reach that role. And I think even if you do that, there is some, there is some percentage at the top end that you should just not include because you're not going to have 100% confidence on any of these players. Like we should, we probably should never be more confident than, I don't know, somewhere in the 70 to... 80% range at the top end, I would think there's like a 20% that you should just acknowledge there are things that you're you're not expecting that could still happen. And realistically, all of these players can be 20s. Um, but I think when we come back to like high floor versus um, or, or variance in players, I previously would think of a high floor player as someone who who really didn't have a lot of upside, but you like his maybe steady skills. He has good bat to ball skills, doesn't have a lot of power, can stick around. I almost now think that the highest variance players are simply the best prospects because those players 
can access the top of the scale, or at least they have a, a higher likelihood of accessing the top of the scale compared to someone who, who isn't super toolsy. So a guy like Gunnar Henderson would have much more variance than someone who is only accessing the 40 to 55 range of a 2080 scale um, for, for your most likely outcomes. So thinking about the best prospects as being the most high variance doesn't intuitively make sense to me because of how, how we've talked about players like that for so long. But I think it is worth thinking about those players like that. Like almost by definition, if, if you have a lot of talent and have the ability to be a 75 or 80 role player, you have more variance than, than prospects who are more org filler types, right? Mm, you don't think that the, the younger players, the, the high school players, the lower level international players who are in rookie ball would have more variance or, or a wider distribution of outcomes compared yeah. to, I, I, cause I, I think that as players get closer to the big leagues, your, your, uh, I guess the, the confidence that you have in a specific role or range of roles will narrow naturally. So the further away you are, it's going to be wider just because they have a lot to prove. You, you don't know how their body's going to develop. You don't know how their skills are going to develop. So like your certainty or, or, or your, mm -hmm. your percentage of like how likely they are to fit some role should increase like you should be more confident in what they're likely to be so in that sense i think that yeah those those players have a lot of variance just because there's so much that's to be determined but i do think that it's just been pointed out to me by a couple people both on staff i think jeff jeff said this and then people that i've talked to in the game just making the point that yeah your high variance players are just the best ones because not every not every prospect has a very high percentage or, or even like a north of five or ten percent chance of being a 70 or, or even like a 60 player because they just don't have. And again, like to your point there, there are always players who are going to overperform our expectations, but in terms of like how confident we are, it's, I, I've found it useful to think of those top end prospects of just simply having more variance because everyone can be a 20. You don't have to have any, any skill set or, or tool threshold to go through to be a bust. Every single prospect on the list can bust, but, but can every single prospect, on our list be a number one starter or uh a mike trout caliber hitter i don't necessarily think so no yeah yeah that's that's true but i do i think the the younger you go the less certainty you have over definitely the outcome for the player and the more just the more variance there's going to be in terms of just a wider range of distribution of outcomes for yeah. a player like, you know, mentioned Ethan Salas, catcher from Venezuela, you know, seems like an excellent, just outstanding prospect for a 16-year-old catcher. He's still a 16-year-old catcher, right? He might, there's a chance he gets to, you know, I imagine, I, I don't, I don't think this is going to happen, but I, you know, there's some chance that he gets to low A and hits a wall and that's the end of it for him. There's also a chance he turns into, I don't know, Joe Maurer, right? <laughs> there's, there's a much wider distribution of outcomes for yeah. him compared to like, you know, Francisco Alvarez or, mm -hmm. or Diego Cartaya. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true too. In general, the younger players, you're just going to have less certainty of, of what their likely roles are going to be. Yeah. Ideally, as you progress, you kind of narrow that window down and have this, confidence in a likely role. This the certainty thing is interesting because it it 
jogs my memory of when there was this time several years ago now where there was a uptick in Cuban players coming over to sign with major league teams. Mm -hmm. Like we saw it with, you know, Cespedes and then Jose Abreu. And I could start to see there were more player, more and more players who were leaving Cuba. Mm -hmm. And I was like, teams are making decisions on these players based on seeing them on the Cuban national team or maybe the Cuban 18 and under national team. And then some, you know, tryouts, workouts, showcases, uh, bringing them into their academies in the Dominican Republic. Sometimes just didn't seem like a great way to make decisions on players. So really made a concerted effort to, see players playing in in the Cuban National Series and Serie Nacional, their their league over there and, and other places and just trying to put together scouting reports and rankings on Cuban players and one of the challenges was yeah, like you can't it's not the same as evaluating, you know, somebody at LSU or Tennessee or <laughs> or in the Yankees farm system, right? There's so much there's such a wider range of certainty, not necessarily in your projection of the player, but just the certainty of the information that you have about the player himself. So I actually would grade out certainty on a scale, I think, of, of one to five, just how certain of the information am I yeah. on wouldn't you, this wouldn't player? would more intuitive to do like a zero to 100%, like I'm, I'm 100% certain versus... Zero percent or no? Do you think one to five is just an easier way to compartmentalize it? Uh, Either I don't way, know. I think. I mean, it's 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 the same concept of like yeah. you know, am I You're just doing it on a different scale? Am, Mine am just I, offers you more precision in your certainty, Ben. Well, uh, yours offers, I guess, higher numbers, but it's 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 working from the same principle, and and we see that we don't necessarily see that as much with minor league prospects, mm-hmm. but I, I think. And, and probably not so much with college players either, but to a certain degree, I think with, with high school players, some high school players, and definitely now with international amateur signings now when we're trying to rank and evaluate these players, there's there's definitely a different level of certainty of information yeah. that you would have on a guy like we talked about on the last podcast with Deuce Robinson mm-hmm. compared to somebody like uh, a Max Clark or just any other high school player who you're seeing constantly throughout the the summer. So would that, would that essentially translate to like a, how often have you seen this player? How many reps do you have? How many quality looks? Is it, is it just a matter of time basically of, of evaluating these players? Yeah. I mean, yeah. How much history do you have mm-hmm. on a player? I mean, I think that's something you hear yeah. scouts and clubs talking about a lot with players especially on the international side because mm-hmm. i mean it's tough because you have to make decisions on these players now and we don't have to but the teams are making decisions yeah. on players when they're 13 and 14 years old so like yeah you want to build history on a player but they're also super super young so it's like i don't know how valuable is <laughs> that history but I mean, yeah. If you're if you're evaluating a high school player, the more the more at bats you have on him, the greater the confidence is going to be in your evaluation of that player. If you just go in and 
see a guy a couple times and you get super excited about him, you can make pretty big <laughs> mistakes. And, and we even just see it internally mm-hmm. within an organization where you'll have an area scout who's like, man, like uh, my cross checker came in and saw this guy and he played great the day he saw him yeah. and he loves this guy. And I'm telling him, like, I, I've seen him take like 70 at bats and you just saw him on the right day. <laughs> I mean, I had, I mean, I've had, I can remember a conversation I had with an agent in Latin America where he was like, you know, we were talking about players before we were, and this was like, this might've been like 10 years ago at this point now, mm-hmm. but you know, I'd be like doing my rankings of, of the top players in Latin America. And he'd be like, dude, like, don't, this guy is not somebody you want to rank. Like this team came in like this special assistant came in, saw my guy. He cannot hit a breaking ball, but he saw him on, he just saw him like hammer a few fastballs. Uh, he had just like the best day of his life. And this, you know, special assistant went nuts over this player. Cause he does have power, uh, but he can't, can't really hit. He's like, he's going to get a lot of money. He's like, but I'm just telling you what I saw. I was like, yeah, that is not an uncommon story to, to hear. I mean, I, I think now teams. I um, think in know, the, the sense of an, an agent downplaying his player to you, that might be uncommon. But in terms of the uh, the overall scenario, I think that uh, that's a good point. And it's funny. It's funny. Kudos to that that agent for being basically straight up with you on that, Ben. I mean, people are yeah, people are more candid, I think, than than I would have expected coming in from the outside, especially once you well, know. I think them. it's also. I mean, you've developed what twenty years, getting close to twenty years, fifteen, twenty years at this point of of doing this. So, uh, once you do it that long, I imagine there's a lot of trust that you have. Yeah, and sense. people want to have credibility too with exactly. you to yeah. know that hey when you're, i'm telling you something next like year, yeah you're coming next year to talk through a player if, if someone was clearly overselling you on on some prospect they have i mean it's it's not like it's a one-time transaction you get away with it your your trust will be lessened if, if you're but that definitely happens and i'm i mean i'm not immune to it like myself either yeah. it's just a human thing like jorge onya with the the Padres signed him like he was on this uh, Cuban 18 and under national team and he had just unbelievable tournament he looked awesome there and I was like man I haven't seen that much of him but he was so good at this tournament I was like this guy's gonna be like a power hitting everyday right fielder and obviously has not played out that way so it's one of those for me is uh Austin Hendrick he so far mm. really struggled, but I saw him hit. I think it was East Coast Pro um, during the summer showcase circuit for the 2020 class, I believe it was. Man, I saw him hit really well in person. I loved the bat speed. I loved the power. And even then, there were swing and miss questions that he had, but I was I was super in on it because I saw him in person. I saw him do it against quality pitching, uh, and, and he's just continued to struggle to swing and miss. So maybe he'll make an adjustment, but so far that that's looking like a uh, a tougher one. Yeah. What were you and you were saying about, I know you're a big proponent of half grades. Like you yes. want us to go not just to 55s and 65s, yeah. but you want us to go to like 66.5s, right? <laughs> or is I don't that, know that I'd go am I exaggerating? Far. Yeah. <laughs> I think half grades are useful though. And I think, I think just adding more precision when the precision is warranted is good. And I think for like separating players further, especially now that we have more data points that can lend to greater precision. precision. 
um, like in the past, we didn't have specific numbers quantifying the amount that a pitch was moving like a breaking ball, the amount of, of depth or, or tilt or horizontal movement or the carry on a fastball or the exact exit velocities that our player is hitting or the 90th percentile exit velocities or specific quantifiable data about how athletic a player is, their power, their speed, their quickness. Like there's just a lot more quantifiable information that we have on players now. And I think once you have that information, you should be able to be more precise with the grades that you put because, I mean, even if you take the most simple example, if you say this player is either average or below average or above average, there are three buckets you can put the player in. Those are your options. Put them in. I mean, that, if you put that over every prospect in the game, will be less useful than the 2080 scale we have now. If you're using full grades where you're only using a 20, 30, 20, 30, 40, 50, all the way up to 80, and you only have those buckets, that is more precise than average, below average, and above average, but it's also less precise than if you have 45s and a 35. And and I don't think that just you throwing out half grades will add value. I think the process has to be done well, and there has to be a reason that you're putting a half grade on someone, but I, I don't think that using a 65 instead of a 70 is necessarily just you didn't want to throw a 70 out because it's rare and that's like taking some big stance if you have a real reason why you have a couple prospects and one is a 60 and you think one is a 65 and one is a 70 and there's real separation from from those three players for either the the overall role or the specific tool i think there can be a lot of value there i i I think it's only beneficial if you can take in information and be as specific as possible, it will probably lead to better results for your projections. Um, and I think in whatever system you're using, if the process itself, the work you're doing is is lazy, you're going to get bad outcomes. You don't just take some system that I think works really well and you automatically get success with it. But I do think having the ability to more granularly separate tools and separate players is only is only beneficial if you have the information to do that um i don't really see a i don't really see a real negative to it because i mean we're going to get these grades wrong whatever system we're using we're not going to be 100 percent. we're not going to be perfect but i think if you allow yourself more flexibility within that system um to further differentiate players i think it's i think it's positive and i think just from talking to some people who have who've done it for a while and looking at um, different studies that are not related to baseball at all, but are just like the, the super forecasting book is always the one that I go back to. I mean, they found that people who made predictions in all sorts of different industries and markets, the people who were more precise in their percentages that they're putting on the likelihood of something happening, um, if you have a reason for why you're making your prediction so precise and you're not just saying, oh, 70%, the people who are saying, oh, 67% and, oh, next week we got this nugget, we're going to bump it up a little bit. If you're more precise and you're more iterative with how you're doing this, you're updating it consistently as you get feedback, you're shortening the feedback loop uh, as much as you possibly can, like realistically do that, I, I think you'll have better outputs for all of this. So that's kind of where I'm at. 
but um, feel free to pick it apart to me, Ben. What, what do you think about half grades and, and getting even more granular? I, I don't think that we should put 57.5 on, on tools just yet. Maybe in, maybe in 10 years we'll, we'll be at that point. The, yeah, I mean, we use, uh, I think there's a four, like 45s, 55s. Those are common, I think, to put on tools grades because sometimes it's, you know, this, he's a runner. He's, he's not quite an average runner. He's not a 40 runner, though. He's a tick below average or a tick tick above average on arm strength. I, I wouldn't call it plus. I wouldn't call it average. But there's something in between there. So I can see that where you're talking about, you know, is this curveball a, a 65 versus a 60? I, I think if it's better than if you're saying a curveball is better than plus, I'd I'd probably just go and say it's a it's a plus plus pitch. It's a seventy. But why? Pitch. Why would you do that though? What if it's just a little better? What if it's not as consistently a seventy? What if there's what if there's a pitch you think is definitely a seventy and a pitch you think is definitely a sixty, and then there's one that's like kind of halfway? Why wouldn't you just put the sixty-five? What what are you losing by not putting the sixty-five? I guess is what I would ask in that scenario. I, I think you're, I think if it's better than plus, it probably is a seventy. Yeah, I would say a sixty-five is better than plus, though. Uh, is it? I mean, <laughs> I mean, quantifiably, yes. Well, well right. I understand that you the math to be is right about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I could. I I, I don't love it. <laughs> I I think there's. Do you think that we're not capable of being that? We're, you don't think we're capable of being that precise accurately, basically? I think it's, yeah, it's a matter of do you want to be, it looks more precise, mm-hmm. right? Or if you wanted to go even to like a 63 or a 64 <laughs> on a pitch, or again, if you want to look really precise, you'll put a decimal point somewhere and it'll probably look even more yeah. credible. But um, I, yeah, I do think doing it, I mean, doing it just for, I'm not, I'm not for just throwing it out there to, to make yourself look smarter by any means. Uh, I just feel like it allows us to to be more flexible and to express uncertainty. Like I, I don't necessarily think expressing uncertainty is is a bad thing. Like if if I think if I think it's probably better than a sixty, but I'm not really sure if it's a seventy. Like I almost think maybe being able to express that uncertainty could be beneficial. So you don't force yourself to go one grade up when you really don't buy it, but you do think it's like a little better than plus. Like I almost feel like giving that flexibility allows you to be more honest with, with what you think about a player. I think it's, if, if you're at that point where you think it's more than say one standard deviation mm-hmm. above the mean, you, you probably are talking about a 70 at that point. Yeah. Now, do you think, would you feel comfortable? Do you, do you feel more comfortable doing that? Or do you only feel comfortable doing that when you have, let's say for a pitch, mm-hmm. the, the TrackMan data or or the Statcast data, mm-hmm. Hawkeye data, wherever you're, you know, getting your your movement yeah. numbers from, or or are you comfortable doing that just from watching a pitch and evaluating no. that in that I think regard? Personally, I would be much more comfortable if I had like quantifiable data or if I was like reporting on it, and maybe it's like as simple as a case of like half the people I've talked to said sixty and half talks seventy, and for whatever reason, then you can kind of go 65 but i do think that like i don't know that people are necessarily great at intuitively understanding the 20 to 80 scale 
and I, I don't think our brains are, are designed to make separations that are that distinct, like very confidently. So I would want to have some quantifiable data to back it up and, and to do it. I wouldn't, I don't think I can sit there, especially just like one look and be like, Oh, that's a 65. Oh, that's a, that's a 35. Like I would be more general, but I think if you do that over and over again, you probably like if, if I go over and over again to a, a see a pitcher and his breaking ball is consistently plus and not consistently plus, but I think on average that game is plus the next game. It was better than plus, but it's not consistently like a wipeout pitch. Then maybe I can see a case where you say, okay, on average, I think like 65 is the most accurate grade I can put here. Um, but, but I'm not saying that like, I think I am this precise personally as an evaluator. I just think in general, if we have the information where we feel like we, we need to use a half grade, we, we should be able to, if that is not dodging your question entirely. Do you think it prevents you though, from using the entirety of the scale or maybe not prevents you from using it, but, um, you just get a more narrow band yeah. of numbers that you end up using to grade players rather than saying, no, this, this actually is a 70 or, or this is an 80 or, or on the I other could be, end of the I scale too. I think it too. could be either way, actually. I think it just depends. Like, like if you're someone who's using half grades and you're conservative, I think it probably could prevent you from using more of the scale. But you're, if you're more of an optimistic grader, it might be the opposite. Like, or, or maybe I said those backwards. Um, but I, I think it just depends on like how conservative versus optimistic you are as a grader personally. It's just, it's, it's not preventing you from using a part of the scale it's just giving you more options within it so i i wouldn't necessarily think that that would it would give you less 70s or 80s i think if anything maybe the the 60s that are not fully 70 just go up higher so i think you can make the case either way that for some people maybe it allows them to use more of the scale and for others um maybe it wouldn't so i, I think it just depends on kind of your tendencies to use the scale in general Okay. Hang on. I'm going over your, um, I'm going over your chapters, Ben, and see if I can find any half grades. And then I'm going to make you say, make you tell me why you did half grades. Did you, did you use any half grades, you know, in the prospect handbook this past year? You're excluding 45s and 55s. Yeah. So did you put any tools? I think 65 is probably the most common one. We don't have a ton of 35s that I can remember. I think there are some 35s in the book. We do use, we do allow for half grades now, I should say. I think in the past they were not allowed outside of 45, 55. I don't think so. I have some 20s and 30s in there, but. <laughs> <laughs> Those don't count. Those don't count. Okay. Well, one day, one day we'll be all, we will all be using decimal points in our, in our scouting reports. And then we'll, we'll have reached perfection, Ben. That's the dream. It all, I mean, I could see, <laughs> depending depending how much precision we can get one day in terms of our ability to measure and, and forecast, there might be a day where, where that comes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, any other thoughts on, on the scouting scale in general? I know we've, we've talked about a lot of it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to ask you about. W would you consider yourself a conservative grader or an optimistic or... What's, what's the opposite of this? A progressive grader? Are you a tough grader or are you an easy grader? Uh, I'm just, I'm just an accurate grader. No, <laughs> that's a great response. I need a shirt that says I'm an accurate grader. I mean, um, 
Probably, probably yeah, a little. It's hard to ask anyone specifically this because if you thought yourself, if you thought you were a tough grader, or if you thought you're an easy grader, you would just adjust before you made it. Like everyone, everyone who puts their grades thinks they're accurate. So it's well, I think I'm, of... I'm probably a harsher grader because I can also see the you know the grades that I turn in relative to other people who are writing up mm-hmm. players for the handbook for us, mm-hmm. but probably probably a little harsher overall yeah on grades but when there's players who i like i can be pretty aggressive on that i mean we put an 80 on vlad jr and i think on i think on him overall too uh if i remember right actually I, i think that is right but i also think like in putting out an 80 hit tool almost feels crazier than putting out an 80 roll Right. Yeah, but if it's like, I think that's more rare, right? I, I'm not saying that you're you were crazy to do it. I'm just saying like, I wonder you, if I'll ever put an 80, if I'll ever cover someone who like I can feel confident about putting an 80 hit tool on. You know, you'll probably put a 75 on them or something. <laughs> Termar Johnson gets a 75. Yeah. I did put 70s. Brooks Lee and Termar both had 70 hit tools coming out of the draft. I think those are the highest in terms of pure hit because I do think. I think probably early on, and, and we didn't really start grading, like putting tool grades quantifiable to, we would always refer to them, but we didn't, I think putting quantifiable tool grades makes you think through the tools even more when you're writing a report, because it's, it's very easy if you don't have to put a number on something to kind of write around it, um, and avoid the, the topic if you wanted to, or you felt unsure. But I do think that since we've been putting hit tools or, or tool grades in general on draft prospects and kind of seeing how those grades adjust once they get into pro ball and seeing whether or not the tools are accurate, I think I've become more of a tough grader for hit tools specifically because just getting a better feel for how many truly above average hitters there are, I think it's it's a lot tougher to just hand out a bunch of 60s for hitters than it is to put a bunch of 60s for speed or for raw power or even for defense. Like, I, I just think having plus hitters is, is probably the most rare tool you're going to get. Or or having good hitters is a lot harder than having good runners, for instance. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, yeah. littered throughout baseball, amateur and professional, there's guys who are 60, 70, 80 runners. So hopefully uh, I have become more realistic with the hit tool grades is basically the point. And I do think the feedback loop from putting them on draft, seeing what the grade is in the handbook based on both pro debut and like pro scout feedback, uh, and then just getting more reps of seeing how players turned out that, that you put grades on, um, is very useful. Obviously I wish there was a better way to kind of review what we've put on players and, and have a, a more structured way to refine the process because I do think both in, in terms of just every year, there's a new group of players we're doing the work on and there's not a lot of time in the schedule in general. And also because of like how long the player development cycle is for players and, and how players can change and develop versus like you were just wrong on a player. It can be very tricky to, to like very clearly know, did you miss or did the player change and what should you have done? Like, I, I wish there was a way to have a better feedback loop basically for, for our evaluations. Well, then on the, on hitting in particular, I mean, I don't, hitting is a tool. Some, I, I, 
tend to even avoid the phrase hit tool because it's so different. It's more of a skill almost compared to just raw speed or power or arm strength. Uh, Fielding is a little different too, uh, but those are just true physical tools. But Mm -hmm. for, you know, for amateur players, especially the younger you go, the more, and again, going back to uncertainty and a wider distribution of outcomes, it's just going to be more uncertainty, wider distribution of outcomes for those players where, like you said, it's it's hard to project a lot of guys to be plus hitters <laughs> when they're amateurs. There's so much uncertainty to it. And I almost like to think of it, especially for the the high school players and for international players, like how how good of a not necessarily what are they going to project to be like is, you know, is Brando Maia going to be a plus hitter? I, I don't know, but is I think of it more how good of a hitter is this player relative to his peers? Now, there's again, there's certain things that can work when you're you know, going up against, you know, even the top 17, 18 year old players in the country that are not going to work as you get higher up the levels. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's obviously something to that, but I, you know, like you'll see like, Oh, this, this guy's a plus hitter. Well, no, he's not a plus hitter. Now he's 17 years old. Like we're grading it on a Mm -hmm. scale of major league players. But I, I think of it as far as, how 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 is this player relative to his peers how good of a hitter is he relative to his age which is on a on a different scale from the 2080 grades that we're yeah. um putting on players how how easy is it for you now to recall players that you've seen previously that that you know what they are at the major league level now and and compare and contrast them to young players who you're currently watching is that easy for you? Like, I feel like in, in scouting circles, it, I'm always amazed by just the, the general recall and the ability for scouts to bring back players, whether it's based on different movements or different swings or body types. Like, just having that mental recall and building up that intuition, I, I think that's extremely valuable. And I'm curious if you've found yourself, like, being able to do that more since you've done it for, for a long time now. I can to an extent. I mean, it helps to have that mental database of players that you've seen and can recall at the same time. I think our memories are fallible and mm-hmm. more fallible than we'll even like to admit or acknowledge to ourselves or are even it's hard aware to of what you don't remember. Yeah. And certain things where you think what you, what you think you thought of a player I mean, we even have this sometimes internally where it's like, oh, yeah, no, I love this player. I was like super high on him. And it's like, really? Because we have where we where the rankings were like <laughs> where, where we turned them in. And that's not actually what it what it was. So yeah. or and I mean, sometimes there's players where I'm like, oh, I, I don't know anything about this guy. And I'll go back or I'll search his name and be like, oh. I wrote a report about him like four years ago that I just don't even quite remember. So <laughs> it's sometimes we, I think we have overconfidence in um, just how accurate our, our memory and our recalls can be. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's definitely true. If, if I had, if I was able to 
to like upgrade a single one of my personal tools, I think I would just like max out memory. I think that would be super valuable in this space. What would you do, Ben? What what tool would you what, what tool would you value most? Hmm. As far as like I'm any sort out of all the stats on memory, anything that you think is a, a you would consider a tool for for your job that you're doing right now. But do you think there's there's a reason why we don't remember everything? Like your brain is intentionally pushing yeah, not, out information. This is not a, this is not a scientific uh, question here, Ben. We're we're living in fantasy land for a second. Well, it's it's a question of what are the downsides to having a no, no, no. a photographic memory or a perfect memory where you can't where you can't forget certain uh, things. Maybe it'd be useful to not forget certain players that I thought certain things about. Maybe that would be useful. Probably want to forget this conversation we had. <laughs> maybe the listeners do. So maybe we can move on to our next topic, which is drafting a team, Ben. I wanted to draft a team of 2023 prospects so that we could compete with each other to see on draft day who, who wound up with the better team. Um, we've talked a little bit about how we want to do this, but I think it's still open to um, kind of determining what the goals are. My thoughts were we both take turns drafting 2023 draft prospects. We do a full team, one catcher, two corner infielders, two middle infielders, three outfielders, one utility player who can be whatever you want. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be an actual, it doesn't have to be like a multi-positional player. This is just a free spot for you. Basically I would imagine you'll take a hitter, but if you want it to be a pitcher, you can do that too. Uh, and then four pitchers, so that's 12 total players. And then to make it fair, just because the draft is funky with signability, I figured we have to take each six high school players and six college players. And my thinking was we would draft this team. And then once the draft happens, we compare who did better, either in terms of total signing bonus received for, for our teams or average draft capital, some sort of... Um, Basically, we're not necessarily trying to draft the best team because I think that that would be less fun than trying to draft with the industry in mind. But but I'm open to changing the the goal here if you think there's a better way to do it or or if there are better roster requirements. I like the roster requirements. I'd like to just try to build the best team, though, within those restrictions. Like if I'm trying to predict who's going to end up getting the biggest bonus i don't know it's not that doesn't accept as, as much okay how about no. we try and build out the best teams the, the one thing i liked about this is there is a quicker feedback loop but if we're talking about building the best teams we're going to draft this and then six years from now we might have an idea of of who did better but i think we can we can draft for the best possible teams and maybe when the draft happens, we can just also see how the signing bonuses played out for our teams. Well, we can revisit on episode 538. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Or, awesome. or we might be on episode like 84 at that point. But. <laughs> Hopefully we're not. Hopefully we're not. Um, I will defer to you for pick one if you want, or we can flip a virtual coin here. What, what's the best way to go order? I think we just go back and forth. You can draft for whatever position you want first. You can... You don't have to go work down in any order. You can draft high school first. The only rules are you have to fill out this roster um, with those positions and six high school, six college. Uh, but I'll, I'll defer to you, Ben. All right. Well, I mean, if I get, if I get, to, if I get to receive the ball, I'll take the first okay. pick. You're taking it. All right. Let, let, me, uh, let me get my list here together so we can put our teams down. 
but yeah, you're you're on the clock, so go whenever you want. So again, just so listeners are aware, it's one catcher, two corner infielders, two middle infielders, three outfielders, one utility spot, uh, and then four pitchers. All right, I will start by taking Chase Dolander, right-handed pitcher, Tennessee. Okay. I don't know. I, I think he's a legitimate 1-1 one, one candidate right now. Yep. And I think... I don't know that he would be the first guy I would take if I had the first pick in the draft in July. But under this format, there's there's some other good position players I can get. I yep. think the gap in terms of pitching, he's, again, there's some other good arms too, but, uh, man, he he is, I think he has a chance to be a number one type starter um so it's risky right now i mean we're already seeing guys get hurt and go down with with tommy john but mm-hmm. um man i just I, I think he has a real chance to be the best the number one pick in the draft and, and a chance to be a, a true front of the rotation type starter okay i like that i think he definitely can be one one i like the strategy involved so you, you get the clear number one pitcher in the class uh uh with Pick number two, I'm going to go Dylan Cruz. He's the top player on our board right now. Uh, I think he's would be my favorite to go 1-1 overall in the draft. Uh, I think he's an impact hitter, uh, can be a great defender as well. I'm not going to overthink it too much. I just want the best player on the board right now, and I'll get a little bit more strategic as we go. But Dylan Cruz uh, will fill my first outfield slot, and it's back to you, Ben. <clears throat> All right. I am going to take Max Clark. I think he's also a guy who could be first overall pick in the draft. I also would not be surprised if he slid down uh, a little bit more, but pretty confident he'll go top 10 overall. I think he's super well-rounded, tooled up, athletic. I think he's a really good hitter, good feel for the barrel, a lot of contact. I'm a believer in in the power development coming with him. I think it's you know five five tools that are going to be at, at the minimum average and some of them will be 70 or, or you might even put 75s on them, Carlos. <laughs> I like that pick. Yeah. I, I was expecting that pick. Um, with my next pick, I will go... I will go Walker Jenkins. With my oh... I think that Walker has a chance to be a plus hitter with plus power. I love his swing. I think Max Clark and Walker are in kind of a tier of their own on the high school outfield side. There, there are two clear top prep prospects. Um, I want to give myself some, some flexibility early on. And I think that tapping into basically getting one half of, of what I view as the premium high school group here, I think allows for, for some flexibility later on in this draft. So we both have one college player. We both have one high school player. Um, and it's back to you, Ben. That is that is who I was going to take next. Yeah. Um, it's a tough might. one. I figured you might. Yeah, I love Walker Jenkins. And you just look at the, the outfielders. In the class, I think those two guys, I mean, Wyatt Langford is obviously there too, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's kind of a bigger drop-off to me after 
after that group of guys. I agree. Um, all right. I, I, I am going to take Jacob Wilson, shortstop, right. out of Grand Canyon. I think he can really defend the position. It's going to stick there. Outstanding hand-eye coordination, contact skills. I think there's some some power that's going to be in there too. Showed it over the summer. Um, he's 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 good. I like him a lot. All right, Jacob Wilson is the pick. I I was interested in in where you're going to go from here, and now I'm a bit torn on who to take. Um, just looking at the available players here, I, I do think we're approaching like a tear drop off after a few more picks. I'm trying to decide which would be more valuable because now I feel. I really feel like middle infield uh, should be my priority because there's an obvious other player I could take here. But I'm also... Mm, this is tricky. I think I'm going to go with my original plan and I'm going to take Wyatt Langford um, because I feel like I've kind of secured the rest of the outfield here that I feel like is, is solidly in the top tier. I think Langford's tools match up with anyone in this class in terms of power the speed we heard about from him in the fall his pure hitting ability last um, spring with florida was phenomenal he had one of the better seasons in, in florida's program history he hit well with team usa um, i just think you've got a great hitter you've got a great great power and some upside defensively as well i don't know that he's going to be a center fielder but i, I think there's at least a chance he can play center field um, so i'll take wyatt langford and feel very good about an outfield of of Cruz, Jenkins, and Langford right now, and mm-hmm. give it back to you, Ben. The all outfield team, huh? Yeah. <laughs> all right. I. This is hmm. fun because as we get further on, you, you almost have to be more strategic. That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking right now. You do, you obviously have a sizable advantage on pitching for me. I'll have to I'll have to address my pitching weakness at some point, but um, so far I feel pretty pretty comfortable. All right, I am going to take Braden Taylor. I don't think he is the best player on the board here, third baseman out of TCU, but I also think third base, or I should say, yeah, well, two corner infielders. I, I think there's I like Aiden Miller and you know some other interesting guys there, but the the college third baseman who I think can really hit has a good approach. Um, that's that's where I'm going with this one. Okay. All right. Well, this this is an ideal scenario for me because I get the other player I was debating on last turn, and that's Jacob Gonzalez. Uh, he's the best player on the board uh, according to our draft rankings right now. I think. There's a case to be made that he's like a, the number three or number four top player in this class. Um, better shortstop defense than I think scouts are expecting of him prior to him getting to college at Mississippi, back-to-back starting shortstop for Team USA. The swing is a little odd. I don't love like the mechanics of the swing itself, but I think in terms of production, pure hitting ability, power, approach, he does all those things really well, and I'm not going to get too concerned with, with how it looks. So I will lock up one of my middle infielders with Jacob Gonzalez here. Um, and now I've got three, four years. So half of my college players and one high school, you are the same. You have three college players right now and one high schooler. And back to you, Ben. 
All right. I will take. I will take Paul Skeens uh, out of LSU. Get some. Get some college pitching. And and with him, are you putting him at pitcher or are you putting him at util? Because you can put him at either one. What is, or what are we using for the utility spot? A two way guy or is no, it? The utility spot is literally any player. It it doesn't have to be a two way player. So you could you could use this placement strategically if you think. If you don't love the pitching, you probably put Skeens here because you still get whatever he is, and then you have just a free spot later, or you could put him at utility. So it's whatever you want to do. Do I have to commit right now? Uh, I'll say no. No, you don't have to. All right. I'll, uh, I'll... Taking the best two-way player in the class. All right. I'll uh, I'll keep my options open then. Okay. So we'll, we'll move him around. So you're at four. You only have two more college players to take. By the way, you're at four college players and one high school. Um, and back to me, I will take Aiden Miller. He is the best player on the board just in terms of, I think these are all of our top 10 players on the board right now are off the board with Aiden Miller. I think to your point, it's probably harder to fill corner infield than, than middle infield in this class. And I also really like just Aiden Miller's offensive profile overall and, and being able to get one of the next best hitters and fill a high school spot i feel like is a great combination of of all of the above so in addition to him being one of my personal favorite swings in the class i just like the profile all around so i'll take aiden miller and it's all right to you. i'm gonna get wake forest right-handed pitcher rhett louder mm-hmm. i think his stuff is filthy um it's it's a power fastball a nasty changeup. It's a weapon against lefties, righties. He's got a a good slider. He'll mix in both those pitches pretty frequently and with good reason. Um, I think he has a step to be a mid to, to upper rotation type starter and college pitching. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking my staff right now with uh, Dollander, Skeens, yeah. and, and Rhett Louder. Pretty good, pretty good. I think I probably need to address pitching at this point. Um, let me actually make sure I'm up to date. You have Braden Taylor, Jacob Wilson, Chase Stolander, Paul Skeens, Rhett Ladder. So you've got four college players, and then you have Max Clark as your high school player. Um, I've got three college and two high school. I need to address pitching. Um, I know you're coming up against a crunch where you're going to have to take high school players. I'm tempted to take Hurston Waldrop because he's the best pitcher on the board, but I don't think there's a huge gap between him and Noble Meyer on the board. It's number 13 prospect overall versus number 15. I'm always a sucker for high school pitching prospects with a lot of upside. I don't think Meyer is as good as Lesko from a year ago, but I do think he is the clear top high school pitching prospect in the class right now. So I will take him as my first pitcher. Um, and I'm at three college players and three high school players now. And it's on to you, Ben. You picked my pocket again. That is exactly who I was going to take. I was going to round out my pitching staff yeah. with I thought with you him. might go that direction. I th- is... honestly think picking second might be advantageous in this scenario. It feels like at this point. This is probably why the teams don't actually get together and talk about <laughs> and podcast about all of the players oh, man. that they be like so before the draft. Podcast at the draft live. Be awesome. <laughs> All right, let me so make sure to I'm not... go over our rosters, you still need a catcher, a corner infielder, a middle infielder, 
two outfielders, one pitcher, and then you have your util, which is basically a free space. I need catcher, corner infield, middle infield, util, and three pitcher, pitchers for all those following along at home. Man. Oh, that was a tough one. Let me see here. You know what? I don't know. I, I will take it already. Do you? I think you so, know, yeah. Is he a shortstop? Yep. Is, it, is he from is Pennsylvania? It, <laughs> it, he might be. <laughs> he might be. Yeah, yeah Kev, Kevin, Kevin McGonigal. Yeah, I love getting him this late in the draft. I mean, sh- shortstop is just a deeper yes. position here. I mean, you've got Jacob Wilson, Jacob Gonzalez, Kevin McGonigal. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different options, I think, both especially in the high school ranks, but also some good college players, too, or the deeper you go, there's there's guys where, I mean, whether it's like Arjun Namala, Chalowski, Colin Houck, um, yep. just deeper Colt down Emerson. the board. Yeah, yeah, Colt Emerson. I mean, I don't know how you classify like Eric Batanti, but um, yeah. there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of pretty interesting guys who I think – we you know we might have toward the back of the first round consideration right now, but I, I think I have a chance to move up higher um, than that. So it's it's a deeper position. Okay, um, I'm kind of torn on what I want to do next here. I know pitching is an obvious need, but you also only have one more pitching spot to fill, so I, I don't feel pressed to go get one now. I think I might try and address an area of relative weakness in this class and take a catcher. And I think this, I don't see you liking this, this player profile in general. So, so maybe I could just wait on it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to take Kyle Teal at catcher. Um, because I, I just think high school catcher is super risky in general. And I do like like Mitchell quite a bit, who is another consideration here. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and address what I view as an area of weakness and get maybe the safest catcher in the draft because he is the only college catcher we have ranked near the first round at this point, um, just beyond it. This is the first pick where I'm kind of like, because eh, I don't really feel like I'm picking the best player available, which for the most part, all my other picks, I've, I've kind of felt like that. Um, but I'm, I'm taking Kyle Teal at, at catcher and moving it back to you. All right. Let me see. You're right. I am thinking about some pitching here. Mm. I, I think I will. I think I will go with, with Hurston Waldrop, right-handed pitcher out of Florida, top, top 15 on our board. Happy to be happy to be loading up right now on my college pitching class. So your I guess depending on what you do with Paul Skeens, your pitchers could be done. And then with let me just make sure I'm doing the math here, right? Math has never been my forte. Three, four, five. So you have six your six um, college players are gone and then you have two let me make sure this math is right actually one two three four five how many spots do we have here one two three four five six seven eight 
We have 13, so six and six isn't accurate. So we've, we've failed this experiment already. Do we want to do six? <laughs> six, do six, six, and, and uh, or do six, six, and uh, like a wild card? Okay, so you have oh, you to have could... at least six of each, and your last one can be whichever one. That seems the yeah. most fair way to do it right now. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so you technically could still take another college player and still be able to fill out your roster. But, you know, math is, math is hard. So you took Waldrip. I feel like that is a, I don't know if it's necessarily a tear break, but I'm not, I'm not thrilled with any of the pitching options I have given some of the other players. Do you have any pitching yet? I have Noble Meyer, which was a pick that you really didn't right. like. Oh yeah. Um, you know what? I'm going to add some more flexibility and I'm going to take Bryce Eldridge next Ooh. because if we're going by the Paul Skeens route, I could, I could, is it, is it fair to say I can still wait to decide if I want to put in my pitcher or util or corner infield? Yeah. Yeah. You could do that. Okay. So I'm plugging him in at a pitcher spot right now, um, to see, but I'll, I'll take Eldridge. It gets another high school player that I'm really excited about. I'm honestly more excited about him as a hitter now than a pitcher, but um, I feel good about that one. And, and part of me still wants to just make it more difficult for you to take high school players. So <laughs> Bryce Eldridge is my pick. Back if I, so if I if I were to take, say, uh, just a sh- another shortstop, could I put him a sh- just a shortstop at utility? Yes, you could. All right. So I could just take whoever. All right. Yep. The util spot you can use for anything. But if you do that, you're, you're locking in Paul Skeens into your pitcher spot. True. Hmm. So you still have a catcher, corner infield, two outfield, and util to fill. <clears throat> yeah, this gets a little, a little trickier now. <clears throat> the uh, yeah, there's a big drop off. I feel like in the outfield at this yep. point yep i'm not loving <laughs> loving this uh all right oh. we'll get we'll get we'll get back to the outfielders in a little bit <laughs> oh that's good Ooh. i'm honestly surprised by the number of college players that you've taken you I typically think of you as more of like a high school demographic guy just because, I mean, these are the players you, you've watched a lot, but you do have what? a college-heavy team so far. I don't want to get stuck with four high school pitchers that I'm not crazy about. Mm-hmm. And Fair. I want to get make sure, I, make sure I get my favorite hitters here and Clark and Wilson and, mm-hmm. and McGonagall. So um, some more depth I think a little bit further down with some high school players I can still have at Oof. and then and then the third baseman too I feel like there's there's a pretty yeah. big drop off here for I still like a couple of the corner infielders on the board I guess you're just not in on this profiles yeah yeah you can have them <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also knew you liked Aiden Miller a good bit, so I wanted to get him at corner infield. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. All right, I will go. I will go a little bit deeper down the board, and I will go with uh, Eric Batanti 
for cool. a corner infield. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So you filled both of your corner infield spots so far. Um, you've got three high schoolers now. Uh, let's see. I still need corner infield, middle infield, util, and two pitchers. Um, I'm going to go ahead and fill my second middle infield spot and take Matt Shaw. Um, I'm really excited about the, the power potential he can provide. I don't necessarily know that he's a shortstop. I'll be able to see him quite a bit here at Maryland this spring, so I'm excited to see him. Uh, but had a great summer, great fall. Um, power took a jump last year. Feels like he's near the top half of the first round right now. So I will just go with a, a relatively safe profile um, and fill up my second middle infield spot there. And back to you, Ben. Right. You can still take one more college player, um, but you have to get at least three more high school players. You have well, I guess I could player. take two. I could still take two college players if I wanted, though. You have to do at least six high school, so I don't think you could. You have to. You need three more high schoolers. Don't I have? I thought it was six and six and one wild card. No. Yes, but right now you have only three high schoolers, so you le- you at least need to get three more. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, I see what you're saying. All right, I will take I'll take Enrique Bradfield here, uh, Vanderbilt outfielder, ton of speed, defense. Not totally sure how that power is going to play mm-hmm. at the at the next level, but to get him this deep into the draft, I'm yep. comfortable having him in center field. I can move yep. I can move Max Clark over to right field. Yeah, you got a couple of 80s there with the speed and potentially the defense. So I like that one. Um, I've got a util spot and I've got a corner infield spot. Let me see the board here. I am going to go. And you filled everything but catcher and outfield. I could really be mean and take like Blake Mitchell here and see what you do with catcher, but I'm not going to do that. Um, You can go ahead. No, I, I don't really want to double down on a catching group that I don't love in general. I think there's some other players that that I'd probably be a little more excited about at this point. I'm going to take, oh man, this is tough. I'm just gonna take, I'm gonna defer my, actually I've gotta kinda be strategic about this because I need at least two more high schoolers and I'm not sure if I want the pitchers to be high school or or college. Hmm. You're done with your pitchers, right? Depending on where you place Paul Skeens. I'm not going to reveal that information. <laughs> it's proprietary okay. knowledge. I am going to take... Oh, this is tough. The corner infield class is very difficult. I'm just going to take Johanny Morales. He's the top player available on the board. Uh, he has power. He's athletic. I'm not entirely sold on the swing decisions. I, I've seen him just swing and miss on a lot of breaking balls that... It kind of scares me about the pure hitting ability at the next level, but he's hit for a lot of power at Miami. I think he has a chance to be a good defender at third. There are just some tools here that I like. So um, I'll, I'll take Yohandi to fill out my um, corner infield. And now I'm at six. 
college players for high school, I believe. Um, right. And back to you. You have catcher, one outfield, and one util, depending on what you do with Paul Skeens. Hmm. I also probably messed up because Bryce Eldridge could have been my other corner infielder. Ah. Ooh. Now he can't. It's taken up. So, so you're locked into Eldridge. Oh, you could use him as a pitcher, though. He, yeah, I have him at pitcher right now. He could either be util or pitcher, but but before the Yohandi, he could have been at three different spots, which I, I kind of like the flexibility. But you know, it's still a little bit of flexibility. Yeah. So I could go catcher, outfield. Yeah, I just don't love the catchers or the outfielders. Not that I don't. There's not much of a gap in between uh, some of the guys who are deeper deeper down the board for me. Um, who, who do I want here? I think I will go... I might go... I might go pitching here. Yeah, I'm going to go pitching here. We'll go to Campbell University. Wait, and go I with, don't uh, think you can. I think you're tapped out of your college. I can't take uh, a seventh college guy? I think you already have your seven. Let me see. Who are my seven? Jacob Wilson, Enrique Bradfield, Chase Dillon. Oh, Paul Skins, Bradfield. Rhett Louder and Hurston Waldrop. Yeah, so you're, you're tapped out, unfortunately, Ben. You got to go straight high school. So I got to go high school here? You have to go high school, yep. All you right. still have some flexibility with with um, Paul Skeens currently as a pitcher, but he could move to util for you. But you have outfield catcher and util that are currently blank. So All right, so I got to go high school. Yep. Hmm. I will go... Damn, that's tough. <laughs> There's one player that's on the board that I'm really hoping that you don't take, and now I'm concerned that you will. Uh, and I was debating right. on last my last time taking right. this person. So then, I, then I'm going to take Thomas White. <laughs> Why did I even <laughs> say that? <laughs> Left-handed pitcher, uh, top high so, school lefty so in the country. Paul Skeens is going to your t- utility right to make this happen. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, you've you've seen. Um, Thomas White maybe as much as anyone in the country, Ben, I feel like. Yeah. It's uh happy to happy to have him on the, the winning team here. <laughs> All right. I've got two more pitching spots and a util spot or three more pitching spots, depending on what I do with Bryce Eldridge. Um since you're done with pitching, I'm just gonna fill my util spot probably. <laughs> Draft Eldridge as a pitcher. Who's the most exciting hitter that I can get here? There's a couple shortstops that I really like grabbing and putting at a util spot. Um, let's see here. I am going to take... I'm just going to go with a personal cheese ball, and I'm going to take Colin Houck and put him in, into my util spot. Maui Huna was interesting. Rochlowski was interesting. Arjun Immel is in the same range, but I think I'm, I'm a little lower on him than some of the highest people, although the split camp on him is maybe more than a lot of the players in this range. But I just like Colin Houck's athleticism. 
think he can hit. I think he's got some power. I think he can play either shortstop or third base really well. I just think he's a well-rounded athletic shortstop, and I like that demographic. Uh, so I'm taking it here. Colin Houck. And then I guess we're figuring out the pitchers at the end. All right. So I got to go high school outfielder, high school catcher. Yep. Yeah, to me, the outfielders here. What do you got? Dylan Head, speedy center fielder, a lot of contact, good athlete. Talked about him last time. Gavin Gavin Grahovic, would you classify him as a? He, he can, can count, count as an as outfielder or outfield, honestly. So that'd be a. Ooh. I mean, I mean, we have him listed right now as infield outfield catcher. So I think it'd be it'd be wrong to say you can't put him at any of those positions. Ooh. Oh, I didn't even think about that. See, I don't think he's a catcher, so I don't know if I'd want him catching for my team, but uh <laughs> might might be this hey, go out fantasy, the defense doesn't yeah, matter. <laughs> go out go out and catch uh Chase Dollander and <laughs> Rhett Louder throwing ninety seven, ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, good luck. Uh Paul Skeens. Uh that might be a tough ask. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. All right, so I'll go you know who I, I'm going to go with is I'm going to go a little deeper down the board okay. and I'm going to take, I'm going to take Johnny Farmello here. That's a good pick. I like that pick a lot. Oh, some size, athleticism, uh, speed for center field. Good, good hit ability. I've always really liked his bat. The swing works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I like Dylan head a lot. I mean, no shortage of, uh, speed in my outfield here with Clark and mm-hmm. Enrique Bradfield. I think there's probably a little bit more physical upside to go back to that word with, with Farmello. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty intrigued by him. He definitely seems like an, an arrow up type guy to me. Yeah. But does he have a high floor, Ben? That's the real question. <laughs> does anybody? <laughs> All right. So I've got to figure out some pitching here. I'm going with Charlie Soto. Um, let me actually make sure I'm good on high school versus, um, yeah, let me actually make sure here. I think I'm okay. I think I can take either a high school or a college player, but if I take a college player, that's my last one. So I'll take Charlie Soto here. Uh, I love the arm speed. I love, I mean, he, we, we talked about best tools last week and the industry just had him top three in every category, seemingly fastball, fastball movement, breaking ball, change up. I think he's athletic. There's a little bit of violence in delivery, but when it's all together for him, um, it's been extremely electric. His East Coast Pro outing was phenomenal. Uh, I, I think he's only going to improve as he gets more reps and focuses on pitching exclusively. So I just like all of the the, the traits and the tools here with Charlie Soto. So I think he's got a, a good amount of upside, even if it's a, a pretty risky demographic. I mean, looking at looking at my pitching for this team, uh, it's risky demographics um, throughout. So that's that's my pick. Ben, back to you. You've got uh, you've got to take a high schooler here, and you've got to take a catcher. So I wonder where you're going. So I think probably the conventional pick would be Blake Mitchell, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of the consensus top catcher in the class. Yeah. Um, I would say. Um, he was a unanimous first team choice for the industry at catcher, but I yeah. know you're taking too. I don't. I don't think you do. I don't yeah, know. I think I do. All right. Well, you got. I mean, the other options you got. I like Ryder Helfrich quite a bit. Um, power, power tools, power arm, power bat. Campbell Smithwick, I like quite a bit. I think he's. 
I think he's underrated. Uh, I think you can make a case for him even above Blake Mitchell. Uh, very young for the class. Easy operation at the plate. Uh, he'll stick behind the plate. Just go ahead and get to your guy, uh, Ralphie. <laughs> I like so it's. I, I think I'm kind of thinking now between between Ralphie Velasquez and and Gavin Grahovic. Now that you mentioned him, I, I could yeah, squeeze squeeze him in there. I really like his his right handed swing. He's super hitterish. Um, I, I don't think either of these guys are, are going to be catchers long term. So, um, but yeah, let's go. Let's go, Ralphie. Ralphie Velasquez coming off a big, big, uh, big weekend too at the Area Code Select game that they had out at uh, Dodger Stadium. Bunch of hits out there, just very, very hitterish, very advanced all fields approach. Um, you know, is he going to catch long term? I don't know. I'd give him a chance to, but I, I think even if you put him at first base, um, I'm pretty excited by the bat and the swing and the power there too. All right, I like it. Your team's rounded out. We'll run it down in a second. I've got to find my last pitcher. I can go high school or college here. I think I just need a college pitcher just to balance out some of the demographic risk that I have in my my pitching staff. But there are no profiles that I typically am drawn towards with with the guys currently on the board. Um, I feel like I'm just going to go Tanner Witt, which is a guy coming off of surgery. So, so much for me getting a safe pick here. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have a ton of track record in, in terms of starting, but he was really good early before he got hurt last year. I like the stuff. The fastball has been up to 97. The curveball has great depth and shape. I think it's a really good breaking ball. Um, just need some more track record from him this spring. So I'm going with another maybe risky player, but but I do think he's a player who if he comes out and, and posts um, this spring, and I, I don't even know when he's expected to come back, actually. I think he's got a chance to throw a decent amount of innings, but I'll, I'll go Tanner Witt here with my, uh, with my final pick. Um, so we're done here, Ben. A- any thoughts on your team right now? You can run through your team for, for the listeners at home. I mean, I, I hope we, I hope we can scrimmage or just play, play a series and see how we can uh, call the coaches for all these guys and just <laughs> get them together and, and do this for us. Yeah. So guys, uh, Hey, uh, Jay Johnson and, uh, all the, we, we, we had a podcast episode where we did a <laughs> fake draft. We really, really want to see this in person. So if you of could players, that, we'll, so we'll give you a subscription to baseball America. If yeah. It's, it's kind of like the world baseball classic, exactly. but for podcasting exactly. of exactly. our fake teams. But <laughs> I like my, I love my pitching staff. Um, Chase Dolander, Rhett Louder, Waldrip, Thomas White. I wish I could have snuck Noble Meyer in there because, man, I think he's he's the best high school pitcher in this class. I mean, there's some, and you got some other good arms, some of the other guys I like uh, with Bryce Eldridge and Charlie Soto and and some other guys. But um, yeah, Noble Meyer is is really, really, really good. I like my shortstops with Jacob Wilson and McGonagall. I mean, I, you know, yeah, we're going to like your – that's the thing is I, th- I think you're going to like your shortstops no matter what because yeah. if – I think it, like if you look at who didn't get picked or who's still available, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of good shortstops yeah, who are shortstops still right on now, the board. Maui Ahuna, Arjun Namala, Rock Chalowski, um, 
Colt Emerson, Walker Martin. Yeah, there it's a good group of shortstops that are still on the board. Even even some guys further down the college ranks that are solid. So you're right on that. Yeah. So that's that's part of it. Um you know, I I love Max Clark. Uh wish I could have got Walker Jenkins for mm-hmm. for my outfield. Um so uh really really like my, my middle infielders and, and I love my pitching staff. Oh, and I got Paul Skeens too for my my utility spot and a true utility you did. guy too so but uh i think probably more more of a pitcher at the next level is fair to say yeah it'll be interesting to see um how he hits in the sec i think that'll be pretty telling because he certainly has enough power to profile as a hitter just if the pure hit tool is, is good enough but man I, w- I would really like to put him on the mound as well for me uh i love absolutely love my outfield i feel like i've got a lot of premium athletes and hitters there with Dylan Cruz, Walker Jenkins, and Wyatt Langford. Um, yeah. I feel like that's certainly the strength of this team. I liked being able to get Jacob Gonzalez. I was a little bit worried that, that you would double up on the Jacobs and get Wilson and Gonzalez there at the middle infield. Um, like getting Aiden at, at corner infield. So, I mean, clearly I like a lot of the hitters here. The pitching is a, a lot riskier, obviously. I don't, I don't think, I think all of your pitchers have a good chance to be first round picks um with mine i don't know if that's necessarily the case so all these guys are obviously close in in the first round range we're only picking um what do we do 15 each we're only picking 30 players anyway so it's not like you have to go too much further outside that range but it's riskier player profiles noble meyer bryce eldridge charlie soto tanner witt i mean either high school right-handers or a player with a tj already on his resume um, but I like the stuff that all these players have. I kind of like cheesing a guy who, who I might like better as a hitter onto the the pitching roster anyways to just minimize the pitcher attrition and maybe just sneak another hitter here. Um, and, yeah, the, the one pick that I'm not sure if was the best strategic decision just based on where you went for your catcher is Kyle Teal. I do think he's the best college catcher right now, but I'm not in love with the swing necessarily or the impact or, or even the defense. I think there's some real questions there. But um Certainly happy with my outfield and with getting premium talents like Aiden Miller and Jacob Gonzalez on the left side of the infield. Yeah, no, I thought you had a, a top two team. Not the best, but you were, you were up there. <laughs> so it'll be fun. We'll, we'll recheck this team. Maybe we can, um, even throughout the season as our our guys are, are doing stuff throughout the year, get some bragging rights, revisit at the draft and see which, which team uh, either got more money or had better capital and then... Yeah, like Ben said, at episode uh, 75 and five years from now, we'll see who's the better team in real life. <laughs> that was fun. <clears throat> what now, Ben? Are we done? Want to get into some questions? What you got? Yeah, let's. Uh, we got some questions from the listeners. Want to get into a few of those? Let's, let's get into them. Which ones you want to do? All right. Uh, yeah, Doug Otto on Instagram asked, is there any conventional scouting wisdom that you disagree with? Um, I think it's a really good question. good question. One to me would be judging a shortstop or, or pushing a player off shortstop too early based on his running ability or, or assuming that a player can't play shortstop just based on his raw speed. I think the shortstop is more about quickness and instincts and reading the ball well off the bat. Um, now, a lot of times your first step quickness correlates p- 
pretty highly with speed. So you don't see a lot of guys who are, you know, 40 or, or especially like 30 runners at shortstop, but you do have some of those guys. Uh, I think speed is more important in, in the outfield, especially in, in center field. There's uh, should be more emphasis on speed, but uh, I think you can, just cause you see a, a player's a below average runner. I wouldn't necessarily write him off of shortstop. Um, that's a good one. I, I think another one is you hear a lot of like putting multi-sport athletes on a pedestal or, or just praising multi-sport athletes uh, for, for, and this is for different reasons. Kind of like we talked about last time with, uh, you know, Deuce Robinson uh, and, and not again, not using him specifically, but uh, sometimes I think there's just an overemphasis on um, just raw athleticism or players who excel in other sports um, or or even saying that it's better for young athletes to play a bunch of different sports because it will help their uh, athleticism when I don't you know, again, I'm not against that necessarily, you know, especially, you know, especially like super younger kids like, yeah, go ahead and yeah. play a whole bunch of different sports. I think that's that's great. But I think the, sometimes we get the correlation causation thing wrong. It's the guys who are really good athletes are just really good <laughs> at a lot of different sports. I mean, we look in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, it's not like these players are playing a whole bunch of different sports usually um they're focused on baseball and there's not a uh shortage of athleticism or baseball talent coming from uh those countries just because they're you know they didn't grow up playing football and and basketball too so i think sometimes we get the um the causation effect uh Backwards. His, his um, prospects, his baseball prospects, focus on baseball. But I do think to your point, baseball is such a skill-dependent sport compared to some others. You just you can't really replace those reps that you miss if you are a high-level athlete in other sports. So your development could get well behind uh, if if you do play a lot of other sports when you're kind of reaching that that age where you're specializing a lot. Is that kind of your your thinking here that just being not being able to have those reps like in just pure athleticism, not being able to translate to baseball, like maybe it does with other sports. I think there's just too much dreaming sometimes also on, yeah. Oh, this guy has spent so much time playing football and so little time playing basketball. Well, imagine what he can do once he's playing baseball full time. And there is some truth to that. Uh, but I think you can dream and, and project a little bit too much yeah. on that. And I, I think that's where it gets you into trouble, especially, you know, the older player gets, you know, we're talking about like, like an, like a real, like youth athlete who's, you know, 15 years old, it's different than a, uh, you know, you have more time compared to we're talking about making a multi-million dollar and high draft pick decision on uh, a high school senior who's still pretty raw on on the baseball field that's a good one um one of mine was and I, I even was asking the guys in the slack for like just common conventional 
scouting wisdom that's out there because when i initially saw this question i I really couldn't think of of too many like scouting cliches or conventional things that that are brought up but i do think that even though i i think this is maybe less of an issue than it previously was but just bucketing players based on height like uh automatically assuming that short hitters will be better pure hitters uh or assuming that tall hitters are just going to have a lot of swing and miss or have a lot of risk offensively. I know there are some people who were a lot lower on, like I think Julio Rodriguez is a guy who I've just been high on for a while. And I, I think when I was looking at his offensive profile, there was no real questions about swing and miss or swing decisions. He, he just always had kind of a complete offensive profile in my mind. And I think James Wood would be another guy who, who is a taller, longer levered hitter, who I think is a pretty good pure hitter. Um, and I think uh, the same way, Ben, you've been on a lot of short guys who a lot of people, I think maybe Corbin Carroll is a guy who who probably fell down boards a little bit because of his size, because of maybe questions about impact or how much power he was going to get to. But we look at him now and he's he's got a lot of impact ability at the plate. So I think like bucketing players based on the height they are and maybe putting limitations on them when they've shown you that they have certain skills despite um, – maybe falling outside of a, a body type that, that you typically associate with certain skills, um, just avoiding that would probably be useful was one that I could think of. Yeah. You know, I'm on board with the short hitters. So <laughs> I agree with you there. On board with the long hitters. Use the full spectrum of, of height. I think it's, yeah. I mean, it's just about every, every hinder, every hitter is an individual. Like you can't, write off guys just because they have yeah. longer levers and bigger strike zones. Yeah. I mean, there it's, it's just a practical mm-hmm. or just a factual reality that your strike zone is bigger. Mm-hmm. You're going to have more strike zone. You have to cover more surface area that you have to be responsible for. And even, you know, like Aaron judge gets balls called strikes against him because umpires, he's just so big that yeah. <laughs> they, they mess up the strike zone against him. My other one was writing pitchers off or or being really on pitchers because of an arm action or delivery. Um, I remember one of the first conversations I had with a scout at Baseball America, I was asking him about some question about a pitcher's operation or whether or not he was going to be a reliever. And the pitcher or the scout was like, you know, I, I just kind of look at stuff first and how it crosses the plate and, and how often he get, gets it across the plate and I don't get too caught up over the delivery or the specific arm action, because I do think there are a lot of pitchers who do it in different ways and you don't necessarily have to have some picturesque delivery to throw strikes necessarily. And I think there are a lot of pitchers who have really pure, clean mechanical deliveries that just struggle to throw strikes for whatever reason. So I think if you have good stuff and you can throw strikes and show solid command, um, I don't know why there'd be any reason why having an unconventional arm action or delivery in and of itself would cause you to bucket a player as a reliever or um, put a lower projection of him starting. I think uh, that would be another one that's maybe similar to the player height conversation. Yeah. I think it depends too, if it, if it comes with control issues, like you see a pitcher who's super herky jerky, high effort mechanics, uh, just kind of arms and legs flying everywhere. Doesn't seem to have a lot of body control that comes with it. And you're seeing poor command and you're seeing that. And it's like, well, it's kind of hard to project him to be a starter. Whereas if you see some things that are maybe unconventional, but I don't know, he still 
repeats it. It doesn't seem to be putting any uh, extra stress on on his elbow or his shoulder. Um, then yeah, I you know be, think it makes sense to be more flexible or, or open minded with what you're mm-hmm. with what you're projecting him as. Which which pitcher would you feel more confident in throwing strikes in the future? A bad strike thrower who has a very clean delivery or a bad strike thrower who has a very poor mechanical delivery? I guess this depends on age too, but yeah. are you more confident that because the delivery is clean that he'll figure out the strikes or are you more confident that you could make some mechanical tweaks with the second one that would lead to better strikes? Because in some ways, yeah. the pitchers who like you can't identify an obvious flaw and aren't throwing strikes, I just wonder like, okay, are they incapable? Like is, there's really not a lot we can work with here to improve that. It's just some inherent trait that, that you might have or, or you don't. I think all else being equal, you'd rather have the pitcher whose delivery you prefer where there's probably smaller tweaks you can make that could help get the pitcher more in sync, uh, fine-tune things rather than somebody who's just all over the place where you're like, all right, we're, we're going to have to make some major overhauls here rather than maybe just tightening up arm action. Um, or even can just be an approach or trust issue with your stuff, like saying, hey, you don't have to be – precisely mm-hmm. or just literally throw your stuff over the plate and good things will happen yeah yeah absolutely um i would say one other one I, I can think of too is the importance of having conviction i think you hear conviction is something that's prized and i think it's good to have but if i don't want somebody to have strong conviction in every opinion (laughs) that they have on a player. I mean, going back to the conversation we had earlier, you know, if, if you go in and see a guy one time, like, I don't know, you you should, you should acknowledge the limits of your look and acknowledge the uncertainty that you should have in your evaluation. I I mean, there are some guys who we see in it pretty quickly. It's like, Oh my God, this guy is (laughs) incredible. It doesn't take that long to see, um, you know, tools sometimes and bat speed, that, that kind of stuff. But, um, it, it's, it's something where I value the conviction more if it's something that is not something that you have on like almost every single player that you're seeing where you, where you have strong opinions. All right. If, if this guy is strongly convicted, Mm -hmm. um, in a player, and he's not normally speaking that way uh, or feeling that way about everybody he sees, then yeah, that's more meaningful to to me than just having conviction for for the sake of having it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think it's important to to recognize there there should be some upper bound of, of conviction or confidence we have in general, just given the natural success rate of all these players and how impossible it is to consistently predict the future. Um just I, th- I think sometimes knowing what you don't know is more important than knowing what you know, especially in this game. It's there's so many things that are outside of our control and we can't really know. So I, I think that's a good one as well. And then Hardy Baseball on Instagram asked, "What is your personal favorite event to attend on the high school showcase circuit?" So let's say for high school showcase circuit. The three that jump out for me, uh, PDP, the MLB's PDP uh, event right before the, well, it's for the 
play high school players for the following draft year. Um, so this summer's PDP will be players for the 2024 high school class. Yeah, I, I like that one. I mean, it's it's kind of like having because they're, they're there for a week mm-hmm. and a lot of events like at, like at all America games, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see a guy once. OK, great. So I'm throwing an inning or two. Uh, so I'm get a couple of bats. It's 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 helpful, but I like seeing a guy throw multiple times, multiple innings. Mm-hmm. See the hitters get a whole bunch of you know ten plus at bats. Uh, it's it's kind of like having a whole bunch of all American games almost um, in in the span of a week. Uh, get multiple games each day usually, and do you prefer and they, PDP as tournament of stars or do you view them as basically comparable events? Uh, I, I like the way they have it now. I mean, I think they're getting they're getting a lot of the right players in there too, which is which is important. And I like the game structure that they have, so I like that a lot. Um, area code games is good because you're bringing in a whole bunch of players. Especially, I, I like the underclass games. It's a it's it's a great way to get a whole bunch of the top underclass players in one spot at one field you just sit there from again <laughs> game start at you know let's say eight in the morning you're, you're making sure you're there like a little before seven to to get your seat like we were talking about and you're just camping out there all day uh into the night just watching baseball uh it's definitely long um but it's you just get so much baseball for for your time and quality quality looks at players for um for the upcoming years that you don't really get in any other setting and then the the other one is another underclass focus event that doesn't get maybe as much attention but uh usa baseball runs the their like 17u 16u national team development program so you know let's say it's for this upcoming year it'll be players for 2025 mostly uh, so not the 2024s that all the you know teams will be focused on for for the for the following year, but 2025s and then you know some 2026s. Uh, they get a lot of the best players from all over the country in there. And again, it's you're going to that really nice facility at in Cary, North Carolina, at the USA Complex, seeing a whole bunch of players um, throughout the throughout the week playing in in games and working out. So it's a good opportunity to see a whole bunch of those players in one spot that you don't really get many opportunities to uh, otherwise during the year yeah those are good ones i also had area code games on my list i think for all the reasons you mentioned i did the underclass games this this past summer uh, and that was great i mean the upper class is is the same format uh just different classes that you're looking at i like it's great that it's in southern california typically the weather is really nice you don't have to worry too much about rain um, it's nice to be able to just camp out behind the plate, see infield and outfield, see batting practices. I really like how they structure the event. It's it's batting practices for all the players early on, and then you're jumping right into a bunch of games. There's a home run derby too if you want to see that. So I like the format, like the the players, like the location. East Coast Pro is also one that I really like. It's similar to the area code games except focused uh, on players on the East Coast, obviously, it's a scout um, run event, which is different from a lot of these events, though. Scouts have a lot of input in, in who's going to all these events for the most part. 
Um, but I like that event because you get, you get a lot of workout scenarios, you get 60 yard times, you get batting practices, you get a little bit of infield outfield, um, you get throws. It's, it's set up to give scouts a good look at the player overall. There's game situations. Um, the only negative to East Coast Pro is the location. Typically in Hoover is not ideal, but it's also similar to area codes in that if you get there early on the first few days, establish your spot, you can get a really good view for the whole field and it's four or five days um, with some of the best players on the East Coast. So that's always a great one. And then the last one I have is Jupiter. And I like Jupiter a lot for different reasons. I, I don't think it's the best event in terms of the um, the quality of talent on the field because a lot of the top prospects will shut it down in the fall because they just played over the, the entire summer. It's, it's not really a summer showcase event. So if that's the intent of this question, then it's really a fall event, but I like Jupiter because it almost feels like a scouting convention. And I've said this a few times, but it's just so cool to have so many scouts at this tournament and just to be able to run into people that you haven't seen in a while to bounce around fields, chase players. It's a much more frenetic and hectic environment. Um, but the fact that it is a different format and the fact that it also is real tournament games you get a different feel for players. It's it's mostly hitter focused, I would say. There are some pitchers every year that either surprise you or or who are still throwing that are good to see, but it is a lot of fun to watch hitters in an event that is much more normal for them. Cause I think in a lot of the showcase uh, environments, it's really putting hitters at a disadvantage because you're just seeing a new pitcher every single time. They're throwing hard for an inning or two. But when you get hitters in a game environment where pitchers are really trying to stretch out and, and throw how they would in a normal game situation, I feel like you get a, a a different look than you get for the rest of the circuit. And and the passion that the kids have, like everyone comes in wanting to win that event. A lot of the times in showcase games, you can get kids who are kind of going through the motions at times if they're worn down. But But everyone's trying to win this event, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, and so that one is a lot of fun too. So those would be the three that, that I point to. Yeah. And for a lot of the, you know, the seniors, it's their last travel ball game ever. And it's the, you know, the kids yeah. they've been teammates with for, for years in a lot of cases. So mm -hmm. it's like you said, they get fired up. It's fun to be just in an atmosphere where, you know, we don't really care for the most part, like who wins or, mm -hmm. or loses, but it is more fun when there's just that good energy and yeah the Absolutely. players are, are fired up and everybody's super, Absolutely. super into it. And yeah, like you said, it's a, a great just scouting, um, like almost like networking <laughs> event too, just to run into people you see from, uh, or don't see too much sometimes mm -hmm. from all over the country. Actually, I've met a scout there at Jupiter this past year who came up to me and he was like, Hey Ben, he's like, I really, just wanted to introduce myself. I, you know, I, I love the podcast that, you know, you and, and Carlos do listen to it all, you know, all the time. I was like, Oh, thanks. So we were, we were talking and for a while. And then you know, like 20, 30 minutes later, he was like, he was like, I, I couldn't quite figure out why he's like, but I was like, what, why is Ben talking so slow? And he's like, he's like, and then I realized it's because I always listen to you at like 2x speed on my podcast. And I've never, you know, we've never actually like had a conversation That's before so in person. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. 
<laughs> you probably thought you were a lot dumber in person than he was expecting. You're just very, uh, very slow tongued. Yeah. No, he said he listened to the podcast, so he knows how how dumb I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Drew and then yeah, we'll do uh, all right. One more question from uh, Matt's perspective on on Instagram. What are the pros and cons for uh, for youth baseball player development in the U.S. compared to player development in the Caribbean, which is probably not a short answer, but uh, I'll uh, I'll try to pick out like a few highlights. You know, internationally, obviously, you get you get wood bats. I mean, you just see players swinging wood bats from you know the time they're eleven, twelve years old, thirteen years old. Um, you know, I think it it makes a difference. Obviously, in the summer, you're seeing high school players swinging wood bats too, but um, it's just an advantage, I think, to be able to um, develop swinging wood bats the, the earlier you can if the, the goal is to play professional baseball. Um, obviously, just more, I think you just also have more time to practice. Uh, some of that is obviously weather related, right? Like if you're in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, you just have more baseball weather 12 months a year compared to the um cold weather states in in the united states obviously some of that just has to do with you know being in school and and not being in school so uh obviously not saying that's a good thing overall Mm -hmm. for um you know for people uh but just strictly as far as baseball you just the international players from you know dr venezuela spend more time and just have more time to uh to practice and and play baseball compared to their their peers in the states Uh, and then they're also facing more consistent quality velocity from a young age i think compared to players in the united states you know if you're you know 13 14 years old and you're training in a program you're training alongside players who are 15 16 17 sometimes even older than that and you're you're pretty consistently facing guys who are throwing you know 85 plus at a young age and again swinging wood bats what age does it become normal to just be playing with with people who are older than you is it is it kind of consistently you're you're always playing against older competition once you're i mean once you're in a program training in the you know, in, in the DR or Venezuela, which, you know, a lot of times now is, you know, 12, 13 years old, you know, sometimes even, even younger. Um, but especially at, uh, at that age, you're, you're training alongside players who have, you know, have yet to officially sign yet. Obviously some of them still have, uh, you know, agreements in place, but you know, they're, pl- those kids are 15, 16, 17 years old. So, uh, it's pretty common to see those kids playing up against older and and more advanced players. Um, in you know for for the U.S., it's the you know the big advantage is is you can take more time in your development, right? The international players by the time you're like 17, 18 years old, um, if you're still unsigned, it's pretty limited options uh if you're a high school player you're probably still a senior in high school right you're still have the draft upcoming 
And if you don't get drafted or you don't want to sign mm-hmm. uh, the draft, you have the opportunity to go to college and continue to develop. So, I mean, that's one thing that I wish was, um, you know, more of an option for international players to have something for between, you know, when you're between the ages of 18 to 21 years old to continue to play baseball, continue to develop, to continue to um, get some type of uh, opportunity. I mean, we've seen it, uh, you know, especially with pitchers. There are some, you know, quote unquote, older pitchers who Mm -hmm. still sign. uh, But it's it's you know, it's just not common. And especially for position players, it's, it's really rare. Um, so it's something that I wish would be, you know, available to more international players. And I, I think it's, it's changing in this regard. It's changed a lot over the last 10 years, but, um, the game oriented culture in, in the United States, it's still more game oriented, I think in the United States compared to Latin America. Now there are still a lot of you know, programs who are playing against each other, they are playing games, but, um, there's still, it's, it's just, it's not quite to, I think the same level that is in the States. And I know even, you know, some people, you know, lament the showcase circuit or showcase mentality in the United States. But I mean, you still have kids playing all kinds of, games throughout their high school season tournaments in the summer so mm-hmm. um i think there's still that that game emphasis is still pretty strong i think in in the states gotcha um nice any other ones ben any other questions uh i was uh what are we geez we've been going for a while haven't we <laughs> i just looked at the clock yeah hey time yeah. flies when you're having fun and when you're trying to trying to uh, outdraft me ben so yeah, I got to text. I got to text some of these college coaches to make sure I can get the the game lined up for for later. Yeah, yeah. Let's make that happen. Uh, let us know whose whose team you prefer. Um, we'll keep following it in the future. But yeah, this was a fun podcast, Ben. I guess we can wrap it up. Maybe you have a life you need to get back to. I don't. But uh, thank you guys for all listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, thanks for subscribing to Baseball America. If you do. Um, yeah, anything you need to plug before we get out of here, Ben? Uh, but I think we're pretty close to just hopping out and letting people get on with their days. Uh, no, just uh, if you if you like the the podcast, hopefully if you've made it to uh, this almost third hour of the episode, you did. So just uh, uh, drop us a, a rating and a review on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Tell anybody uh, about it so that word of mouth always is, is helpful for us. So we always uh, appreciate you guys listening. Yeah, thank you guys so much for Ben. I'm Carlos. We'll see you next time, everybody.